Hello, darling. Hello, lovely. How, How are, are you? And your Jinx. little lemony dress. Thanks. I'm in a little lemon dress. Monique is like rocking the little little black dress right now. Yeah, because it's like 5,000 degrees it outside. Is, yeah, it's really hot. It's like officially <laughs> summer in New York now. So yeah, it's hot and it's humid and it smells like garbage. Sure does. It's, it's funny because it's still, I still don't consider it humid. Like Oh, really? No, not at all. I mean, because it's like fifty. Yeah, it's like fifty percent humidity, and I look Miami. It's like ninety-seven percent. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's yeah. what I'm used to. Yeah, this is it's fine. Still, well, it's hot, you know, but a little cloying. It's fine. You deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but it's hot for sure. That just means it's uh, summer dress season. Yeah, there Ayo. you go. So what's up? What's going on? You're fucking hot. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nothing. My week's been kind of boring. I dog dog sat. Um, yeah, you did. Yeah, I saw so I, I saw pics on the gram. Yeah, so the Great Dane puppy that I watched three months ago is now three months older and about as twice as big. He definitely outweighs huge. me, and he definitely is taller than me by a good, I would say, half a foot at least. Not, That's if not so more. terrifying. I so, can't even yeah, handle it. He was a handful, um, but it was fun. I just chilled I'm like. They have a trampoline and a pool and stuff. Oh, shit. So I, like, did, like, the whole, like, get back in touch Centered. with my childhood. Yeah. Yes. And I, like, fucking did, like, toe touches on the trampoline and, like, cat oh, balls shit. in the pool. Because I'm a – and handstands in the pool. You got I'm to. I'm literally – yeah, I'm literally a child. It's fine. No. If, like, if you don't do a handstand in the pool, were you even in the pool? Thank you. 10,000%. Thank you, Monique. Absolutely. I know. When I told Johnny and he was, like, you just were, like, doing handstands, like, alone in a pool, I was, like – I mean, yeah. Doesn't like, everybody why? do that? Like, yeah. I have to see how good I am in handstands, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and like the whole like gravity thing is not really an issue. And you're yeah. like, I'm fucking nailing this right you're now. like, I'm so good at this. Like, yeah. I should walk on my hands all the time. Like, all the time. And then you're like, nah, man, walking on my feet is like treacherous enough. <laughs> <laughs> I almost die. <laughs> These are facts. Yeah. Um, And then I watched some good TV as well. Oh, shit. What'd you watch? Too. I watched, uh, I started Exterminate All the Brutes on I don't know what HBO. This is. That is a documentary about <gasps> colonialism and oh, shit. Uh, basically the history of white supremacy. Damn. And absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's really depressing because yeah, it's obviously course. considered the subject matter, but it is... It's not a light romp. No, no. But I watched three episodes of it. It wasn't like Crime of Century where like I was so enraged at the end of one, I had to stop. Like yeah. It actually was genuinely very interesting. And I, to the point that I was just like, all right, I would easily watch three episodes of this. So check it out. It's super interesting. It's obviously like very dark, but it is a much more thorough history of colonialization mainly and imperialism and this idea of like manifest destiny and conquering all Mm, these uh, uncivilized worlds that haven't had... Christianity, Christianity and technology and mm. all of these wonderful yeah. European diseases. But they got gold, so yeah, hey, gold and silver. Gold and silver and diamonds and uh, yeah, and free labor. Look at that. We fucking did that shit. So it's really good. It's really interesting. Definitely check it out. Cool. Yeah. HBO Max, fucking killing it on documentaries. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, they always do. Yeah. It's great. So good. What are you watching? Um, I haven't been watching really anything on television because i've been busy as fuck but a couple things uh so i mentioned last week that i went to the foo fighters concert and there was a big thing that i left out because it was so weird that i didn't even remember it actually had happened until i saw it the following day on instagram brain is just like no no i was like that was like a fever dream because that didn't make any sense (laughs) it did though Uh, what happened in the middle of the foo fighters concert uh they brought out dave chappelle what and he sang Radiohead's Creep. 
Stop it. That is a fever dream. That doesn't seem real. No, because it's that like, just okay. seems like you picked a bunch of little random, random things, things that I'm that, into. Yeah. And like, exactly. So I was like, that didn't happen. Yeah. So they brought out a comedian to sing a song from a band that wasn't currently playing. I mean, Weird. it was amazing. I was like, how did he do? I've never. It was great. Okay. It was fucking great. But it, I didn't remember it happened until I saw someone like posted a video of it on Instagram. I'm like, oh, fuck, that did happen. I need to see the video of this. That is crazy. It was pretty great. Yeah. It was pretty random. It was great. Think- and then he just fucked off, like right off the stage. Like, <laughs> bye. Bye. I would not have expected that at all. No. That's why I didn't even remember it happened. <sighs> Um, and then I went to St. Louis for a day and a half. Oh shit, that's right. To see Andre de Shields in King Lear. How was that? Amazing, I'm sure. <laughs> so it was it's funny. Um, so for those who don't know, Andre de Shields is this like legendary Broadway actor and who very famously three years ago won his first Tony at the age of 72 for Hades Town. And he's fucking phenomenal in Hades Town. And I, shockingly, and uh, as a what the fuck, like, look at your life, look at your choices, Monique, was not familiar with any of his work prior to Hadestown. So, however, six months ago, however long ago, um, Playbill announced that he was going to be playing King Lear at St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. Okay. And I told my ride or die, Nellie, uh, about it. And she's like, I'll fucking go to St. Louis Hell to yeah. see him play Lear. I'm like, yeah. And the thing is, like, neither of us are really into Shakespeare. Like, it's great, but there's a lot of trash Shakespeare like yeah not that the, I mean I'm not into Shakespeare. it's a lot of people who do it don't do it correctly so yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the thing it's like the the work itself is great but a lot of times it's people being like I'm saying these words magnificently and you're like I don't understand what the fuck you're talking there's about. no meaning behind them though. exactly you're just saying them yes there, there's too much reverence to yes. the language when it's like like everything is a dick joke, truly. Like he truly, truly. It doesn't sound like it because it's nice, but he loves a dick joke. Oh yeah, and you talk pepper about him in there. Yeah, all of the time. Yeah, truly. So there you go, Willie. Willie Shakespeare. Boom. There you go. There you go. So me and Beeves go to St. Louis, and uh, we stay with a family that's friends of hers who are a fucking delight and a half, and they also come with us because. Basically, there's not, like, seats. It's, like, pods. Oh, nice. So you just paid a flat rate. A flat rate then... that you could have up to six people. So we went, and it was, like, we're front row nice. center. Great. Fuck yeah. And if for those of you who don't know what King Lear is about, like, really quickly, it's about this king who is uh, getting much older, and he's, like, losing it. And as the show progresses, he gets more erratic and unstable and, like, really nuts. And the show starts out with him and his three daughters and he's like, I'm getting older, so I'm going to split up my land. But before I do, I need you to, like, tell me how much you, like, fucking love me. And then, like, the two daughters say, like, whatever bullshit to, like, get what they want. Yeah. And then the last daughter, who's his favorite and the youngest, her name's Cordelia, I want to say. Could be wrong. I want to say it's Cordelia. And she's kind of like, no, I'm not going to say shit because I think my actions, like, my entire life should prove to you that I fucking love you. Yeah. So I don't actually have to say anything. So he flips his shit and it's like, cool. So fuck you. I'm banishing you. Bye. So there's like parallel storylines of like, basically like children being shitty to their parents and like trying to like kill their parents or usurp the parents. So like the the two daughters, the other two daughters like try to like 86 Lear and like kill them and all this like kind of crazy shit, whatever. So we're watching it. And the thing is, is like, if you've ever watched, because at this point, Andre DeShield is 75 years old. Damn, all right. Which is up Good there. for him, yeah. And if you've ever watched people 
who are like advanced in age doing live theater, it can be a bit tough. And that you're like, oh, memory wise, like, like are they just like, kind like of forgetting where they are. Memory, they're fucking nuts. They're making really odd choices. So like, we're all watching this, and, and it's kind of like, well, I mean, you know, he's he's supposed to be playing crazy, but we're kind of like. How much I of think, this is playing crazy? Is I that think what the... this is a wrap. I don't know how he's going to go back to Hades Town in September. And like an intermission happens and we have that like look of like, so how do you like it? Oh no. And then we're like, okay, um, you know, but he's supposed to be playing crazy. Um, but yeah, you know, so, and then intermission comes back and he like comes and it's like fucking nuts. And you're like, okay. Um... um <laughs> What am I? What am I watching? I'm kind of like okay, and then so spoiler alert to a show that's 400 years old. <laughs> People are gonna be outraged, Monique. How dare you? He actually wrote this during the during you. the plague. Actually, he wrote, amazing he wrote, uh, King there. So spoiler alert to a show that's 400 years old. Cordelia ends up being murdered. Okay. And in the staging of it, and Cordelia, the, the woman who's playing his daughter, is at least a foot taller than him. Because he's not a very Damn. tall Okay. Dude. And in the staging of it, you find out that she has been murdered because Lear comes out carrying his daughter's dead body. Okay. Right? Which is very... A lot. For yes, anybody. It's a lot. It's very intense. But when that person you're carrying is a foot taller than foot, you... Foot taller than you. And you're 75 years old. That's a lot. Ooh, yeah. So he comes out. Oh, no. And it's fucking exquisite. Oh, okay, good. There's no labored breath. There's <gasps> nothing. And it's basically like, um, yeah, I'm an actor and I'm great at what I do. And I was supposed to be playing crazy this entire time. He basically like... Damn! Like, we... To the point to- that everyone was actually like genuinely questioning like... Oh, is he like, losing, losing it? it? Like, that's how fucking End incredible scene. he is. <laughs> That, like, all of us, like, we aren't pleased. Like, we are all in the theater. Like, everyone came to see it. It was like, you're an expert on the craft. Several people, like, have Broadway credits that we were with, and everyone was like, um, okay. (laughs) That's how incredible his performance was that he was like, I played you, homie. Like, you (gasps) actually bought it for three fucking hours. And he came out, and it was the most, like, exquisite, chill inducing, like, sobbing. Like, that literally. Throughout the show, like, there was, like, steps, and he, like, needed help going up and down the steps, and we're like, oh, my God, I don't, like, holy fuck. And then curtain call, he's, like, strutting up the steps, like, like nothing. And it was like, what the fuck? I love that. We got played him. so fucking hard. <laughs> In so the best fucking way. hard. In the best way. Andre DeShields is fucking incredible. We don't deserve him. Damn. That literally, for two and a half hours, we were like, I think this is his final... His final run. Like, we aren't, aren't wow. going to see him do another thing. Oh, that's insane. And he was just like, nah, man. And he, like, he like strutted back to, like, the namaste bow. And, like, just, like, <gasps> it was it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad it was so satisfying. That's amazing. For considering sure. Considering you literally traveled to another state to fucking Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was amazing. And I was good. so happy. Like, it was a thing that intermission happened. We were like, Okay. Well, and then curtain happened, and one of the people we were with was he was like, Andre De Shields is a fucking god, and that was fucking gorgeous. And I was like, it absolutely damn was. straight, yeah, it was fucking gorgeous, and like that it was just chills and like tears, like immediately. It was like he was playing 
fucking crazy. Yeah. But it was crazy to the point that it was like, you didn't know that he was acting it. Cause you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah. And then he just came out and like was devastated that his favorite daughter died. And then it ends with like him basically dying of heartbreak next to her. Yeah. And it was so beautiful that there was like not a dry eye in the house. It was oh my God. incredible. Wow. Um, so if you're in St. Louis, fuck yeah. check it out. I think it's running for a few more weeks because I know it's sold out, but they're doing like free tickets, I think, day of or oh, something. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. Also, John McAfee's dead. Oh, yeah. Huzzah. Huzzah. Um, it's funny what Get people- Get your hammocks out, everybody. And hey, man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what people will do when they're faced with the repercussions of their own actions. Right? Right. NBD. Uh, the amount of people that texted me to tell me John McAfee died was alarming. I was like, I clearly have started a thing because everyone knows that this is the news that I need in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I was like, you, my mom, Johnny, like fucking everybody oh, was same. just like, uh, hi, hey, did you know? There were, And we got a bunch of DMs being like, I know that this isn't the first or the last time you're going to get this, Fine. but I had to send this Fine. to you. No. Like, yes, oh, I loved it. I loved you. every single one. I was oh, like, yes. Amazing. Thank you. Um, and then in, in kind of shit news. Oh, shit. There's the building collapse in Surfside. And, you know, Miami is like, it's a really big small town in that everyone knows everybody. And if you don't know someone then you know someone who knows someone. Yeah. You know, Did and you know someone in this case? I didn't personally, but I know that there was 12 families in the building who go to my parents' church <gasps> who are not accounted for. Damn. Christina's mother knew a mother and daughter who are not accounted for. Oh, and as chills. of this recording, there's 150 people still unaccounted for. And it's just so... So crazy. Crazy and heartbreaking and like... And it's one of those things that I, I think about my naivete of like, well, that doesn't happen now. That doesn't happen in oh. the United States. Oh, it fucking Not in 2001. Sure yeah, no. 2001. 2021. And it does. It totally just, does. Yeah. And and it's just that reminder of like, literally at any time you could just be sleeping and it'd be 1.30 in the morning and like, that's it. The building collapses. Yeah. And like, and it's so horrifying. And if you want to try to help out in any way. Um, oh, great. Is there a place we can donate? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, support surfside.org. We're going to, um, we're going to link it in our bio. Amazing. So you can, you can just go there and give anything you can because it's, it's really tough and true to form with Miami weather during this time. There's been a lot of rain, which has halted um, rescue efforts the rescue yeah. efforts. So it's been really difficult. And Fuck. It's just really fucking heartbreaking and just one of those things that the million dollar question is how the fuck did this happen? Yeah. And just, you know, sending so much light and love to the yeah, people of my fuck. hometown because it's like Surfside, but it's like, I mean, my parents' place is like 10 minutes from there. Yeah. It's yeah. all it's, so close yeah. to one another that it's basically exactly yeah, your neighbors. Like, you know, it's like Surfside is like a neighborhood, essentially. Yeah. It's still part of Miami. But yeah, just sending so much light and love to everyone affected because, I mean, fuck, there's not, there's no words, man. It's just no, and so it's horrifying that such a tragic thing that should have been avoided. It yeah, have been that's very just not. Yeah, this didn't have to happen. No, you know, uh, it's yeah. So, so if you can donate, support Surfside, 
That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T-S-U-R-F-S-I-D-E dot org. Uh, that'd be really cool. And if you can't, like, if you could just send a little good good juju. Yeah. yeah. Good energy, good vibes, yeah. good thoughts. Yeah. Because yes. it's just, it's just fucking wild. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Deep breaths. Yeah. Deep that breaths. One, that one hits close to home. Yeah. It's just... It's just that thing of like, how could that happen? Yeah. You know? And again, so should be so easily avoidable. Like, yeah. You should just have, you know. I mean, they had a infrastructure building. Infrastructure checks and things like that. that they should... had an infrastructure check in 2018. Jesus. Yeah. You know, like, what the fuck? But apparently now, like, all of the surrounding cities are like, we need to have all of our buildings rechecked now because, like, what the fuck? What's happening? Yeah. yeah. This was supposed to be safe. It was safe as of three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then they're, like, saying that it wasn't or it was. Like, it's a whole clusterfuck. Yeah. So. And there's always human error in inspection. You can do your little walkthrough, but... You know, and I th- am not certain, I think, I because I've been reading a lot and then getting upset and then being like, I can't, I can't I take a break from this. this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is not me it's my defense mechanisms and full gear i th- because i believe these were owned apartments so like it was oh, like a condo shit. thing okay so i think there was also the thing of like being like hey you the owner has to pay collectively millions of dollars to like upkeep this yeah and people i don't know people are like, like no, no i don't you know that. yeah like i don't know I, I there's also like a lot of things that people don't know everything's still unfolding but it's really fucked, man. That's it's really fucked. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, that fucking reminds me. I watched an uh, episode of John Oliver last night. It was about the, like, the scaffolding problem in New York, which I didn't realize, like, why that even, like, started becoming a thing and why there's so much scaffolding around New York now, which is because literally a brick fell off a facade of a building and killed a woman. They literally named her the road she died on after her. Holy Grace shit. Grace Gold was her name. Is that Gold Street? I think it's actually like it's like oh, Grace Gold, Grace Gold, okay. and it's like whatever they named, side named it, so it's named something else, like, right? Like Sixth Ave is Avenue of America, right? Right, it's, right. It's Sixth Ave, Ave, yeah. Seventh yeah. Ave so, yeah. is Fashion Avenue, right? <laughs> so she was seventeen years old and was killed in nineteen seventy nine when a loose piece of masonry fell from a building on Broadway and one hundred fifteenth Street. Oh my God! So and that led to the original uh, facade inspection law which required buildings taller than six stories to have their street-facing facades inspected for unsafe conditions every five years. So that's why we have so much scaffolding in New York wow. all the time, is because they're constantly having to do those inspections. I mean, but fuck, if because, you gotta do it, you gotta do it. Yes, but just, again, the thought of that, like, you're literally just walking down the street, minding your own and lights business, out. and a brick falls on you and you die? That's literally like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yes! That's like, fucking crazy. Oh my god. But, like, it's it's so crazy. Power of infrastructure. Dude. Yeah. I mean, we don't have enough time to get into I that know. They, shit. Again, John Oliver has a whole other episode on infrastructure and how yeah. it's falling by the wayside and we're not doing enough upkeep on it and it's a really bad thing. Yeah. yeah. Because then shit like this happens and they're like, oh, oh. thoughts and prayers. We're not going to do anything though. And it's like, no, what the this fuck is our a- money going towards? This could have been avoided. That's, that's the shit that kills me. That's the part that's the most frustrating thing about it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's... It's that thing of like, look, everyone has to die, you but it. you don't have to die this way. No, no. Not when it's something that's avoidable. Yeah. Like that's, that's the shit that kills that's me. That's the tragedy of it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, on that super bummerific note, do you have Aww. any? <laughs> I have a story for us. I'll try to cheer us up here. Um, 
It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I'm so glad. I hope so. I hope so. So I don't know if you know that this episode is going to be airing on 4th of July. It sure fucking is. So happy 4th of July, everybody. America. Fuck yeah. yeah. I actually watched that like two days ago. So amazing. It's still still one of my favorite movies. Did I sing all of the words to all of the songs? (laughs) Yes. Got to. I did. One of the few musicals I can actually tolerate and that I love. Fuck yeah. Also, Uh, England, suck it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We do have listeners in England that we're obsessed with you. (laughs) They're amazing. But on July 4th, we're like, suck it. (laughs) I'm very excited how this relates to 4th of July, though. Hey, yeah. So in honor of the holiday and, of course, the absolutely iconic 1996 movie, Independence Day. Fuck yeah. <gasps> We're going to celebrate Independence Day with a UFO-themed paranormal story this week, yes! you guys. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm not going to pick one specific story. We're actually going to talk about UFOs and their relationship to the White House. Oh, shit! We're going to go through some presidents, some higher-ups, and we're going to just, like, shoot the shit about all the about all the fun stuff. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. Amazing. You turned this around so quick. Did I? Good. You, you did. I'm here for it. Amazing. Fuck Good. yeah. I'm so glad. Fuck yeah. All right. So, sources. The book, UFOs and the White House by William J. Bynes and Joel Martin. I love that there's a book on this. There is a book on this. I Full disclosure, the book is by the like main guy from the show UFO Hunters. So do with that what you will. Information what you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I tried to keep it pretty above board. Some of the more... Um, outlandish? <sighs> outlandish stories. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. I kind of tried to verify. And then if I couldn't, I was like... Maybe I'll just like leave that one out. Yeah. So I kind of try to focus on what seemed to have some sort of reputable information behind it, mm. at least. Yeah. Some I just threw in there because they were so crazy. I just couldn't resist. It was insane. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. So first and foremost, let's talk about fucking Thomas Jefferson. Yes. Yeah. He's kind of a piece of shit, but we'll- I mean, yeah. totally. I mean, you know. But he might have seen a UFO. Great, we're going to find out. I'm excited. Not directly, but girl, he's got the goss. Oh my God. I love the goss. <laughs> So in January 1801, Thomas Jefferson, who was vice president at the time, but would eventually become president later that year, reported to the American Philosophical Society, which for the record, he was the president of that too at the time, the story of a UFO sighting in Baton Rouge. Jefferson had heard the story from William Dunbar, who was a well-respected scholar and astronomer and inventor and an engineer, as well as an observer of empirical scientific phenomena. One of his greatest achievements was building a telescope at Union Hill, where he made observations of celestial phenomena. Dunbar told Jefferson that the strange event was witnessed by citizens of Baton Rouge who were sober, serious, and not, quote, given to flights of fancy, end quote. So these are serious, serious people, Monique. These people are not fucking around. These are not fanciful people, okay? They're in this for real, real, not for play. Not for play, play. On the night of April 5th, 1800, the phenomenon was seen to pass over Baton Rouge. Witnesses claimed that it was the size of a large house, about (gasps) 70 to 80 feet long. Holy shit. And was traveling quickly about 200 yards above the surface of the earth. They described it as wholly luminous, but not emitting sparks, and said it resembled the color of the sun as it sets a bright crimson red. Witnesses reported that when it passed, a considerable degree of heat was felt, but that there was no electric or static sensation. 
according to Dunbar, immediately after it disappeared, a violent rushing noise was heard as if whatever it was was bearing down on the forest before it. Then a tremendous crash was heard. Upon investigation, they found a considerable portion of the surface of the earth broken up and the vegetation burned or greatly scorched oh, shit. in the area where the object supposedly made landfall. They did not find or see any object, just the like... The shape, The shape or whatever, and the burned. crash site. Yes. Now, during that time, there had been reported crashes of meteorites in Europe, but Dunbar was very aware of this news. Remember, he's an astronomer and he like built a fucking telescope. Yeah. And... He still did not believe this phenomenon was a meteor, mostly because of the size of it. Like, right. it's just that big. And if it was that big and it was a meteor, it would be going so fucking fast and it would hit the fucking earth at yeah. such a great speed that it would have caused like massive destruction. Like, they would be dead. Yeah, they yeah, wouldn't yeah, even yeah. be alive. So, if they were mistaken and it was a meteor, they were mis representing the size it must have been much smaller than they thought it was and it Uh was just whatever they were a weird distance from it and they couldn't tell right yeah otherwise if they were correct on the size of whatever this was it was traveling way slower than a meteor would be right and that's the only way it could have crashed and not destroyed all everything yeah yes while Jefferson did not witness this possible UFO event himself, he trusted Dunbar's report of events enough to report it to the American Philosophical Society, of which he was acting president. Mm. So now we're going to talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Hey, Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt. I always is say it, that... Is it Roosevelt? Is it well, Roosevelt? Yeah, cool, because it's the two O's, right? Yeah. So it's, I always feel like I say Roosevelt, and then whenever I hear somebody say it properly, it's always Roosevelt, and I always feel like a dick. But then I always feel bougie when I'm like, Roosevelt. I don't know. Well, that's like when people are like, croissant. And I understand <laughs> that's how it's pronounced. But just say... But I'm like, you're an asshole. Say croissant. You can croissant. say croissant. Yeah. It's okay. It's fine. Thank you. You know? Yeah. Crescent roll, if you prefer. If you don't even want to get into it. Oh, is that the same thing? Yeah. Why not? Fuck. Holy Start shit. There. Yeah. That's what, Pillsbury, that's what Pillsbury calls them. When you get the little... They Bacon do call break. them that. Yeah. I'm just putting this together right now. They're like a little crescent. Mind blown. <laughs> You're welcome, Monique. That's what I bring to the table. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you never disappoint. I love this. Okay. In August 1907, during Teddy Roosevelt's second term at around 10 p.m., residents of Oyster Bay, New York, witnessed a motionless white orb hovering over Sagamore Hill, the president's home. Oh, shit! Witnesses reported that it remained there for almost an hour. They said it definitely wasn't the moon because it was in the wrong place and too close to the roof. Nor was it a star or the planet Venus because it was too big. According to an article from an old newspaper, the DC Evening Star, the light didn't fly away. It simply hung brightly like quote, an intense white light, end quote, over the house and then began to fade at 11 p.m. until it was only a spark and then it just extinguished. Hmm. Roosevelt, who was not in New York at the time of the orb sighting, was instead working on an address to Congress to ask for funding to build a great navy to offset Japan's growing naval power in the Pacific. I was really hoping you were going to say that he was asking money to, like, look into the UFO. Oh, my God, no. That would be amazing. (laughs) No. It's a little too... I feel like it's a little too early historical-wise for that. It's like, yeah, 1907. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time, most people just, like, saw this as an omen, though. They weren't like, oh, my God, that's a UFO. They were just like... What the fuck is going to go What is happening? Yeah. Good, bad, we don't know. But, like, that says something. And I'm concerned. Yes. Yeah. So some of you may believe that that was an omen to tell him not to... Increase our naval power. 
or to increase our naval power, whichever you want to think. I have no thoughts on the matter. There you go. I don't either, really. <laughs> what do I know? Fuck. It already happened. So. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit to FDR and World War II, mm-hmm. which should come as no surprise that there is going to be some fucking UFO sightings during this time because the fucking World War II UFOs were out of goddamn control. Foo Fighters. Yeah. Literally. Back to our Foo Fighters conversation. Yeah. Where the band's name came from was the Foo Fighters of World War II, which were just unexplained aerial phenomenon that they would see all the fucking time, which just looked like flames outside the window, these like glowing orbs that no one could ever really explain. I literally did not know that really this moment. Girl! And I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. I'm so mad. Yeah! So the Foo Fighters are literally named after a UFO phenomenon. Enjoy, guys, of World War II. As if I needed yeah. another reason to adore it. They're Dave amazing. Roll. Yeah, they're Fuck. great. Fuck. Guys, make this podcast successful so we can hang out with Dave Grohl. <laughs> That's all we want. That's all we want. That's all we want. So obviously World War II, known for its Foo Fighters. FDR did not, beyond that, and obviously he was aware of that, he was president during the efforts. He gets the, yeah, he gets the memo on his desk. He didn't have any, like, personal quote-unquote stories, but I included this one little bit, even though this is one of those that's, like, so crazy that you're just like... What the fuck? Oh, my God. But I'm throwing it in there for shits and giggles because it's too fucking crazy. I'm obsessed. So in early of December 1999, the Center of UFO Studies received a letter from the daughter of the Reverend Turner Hamilton Holt saying, quote, Today I want to share some knowledge that has been, by request, kept secret in our family since sometime in World War II. Mm. This concerns something my father was shown by his cousin, Cordell Hull, the Secretary of State under Franklin Roosevelt. Holy End shit. Quote. Family goss. Family goss. So this is coming out in 1999, but it is happening during World War II. <gasps> Cordell Hull, who would also go on to become a senator and win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1945... So, he's a big deal. And not a Looney Tune. Not a Looney Tune. This man worked for our government. Her letter claimed Cordell Hull took her father, quote, to a sub-basement in the U.S. Capitol building and showed him an amazing sight, end quote. He said he was shown four large glass jars holding (gasps) four creatures. Get the fuck out! Unknown to my father or Cordell. And a wrecked round craft of some kind nearby. End quote. My jaw is on the floor. Oh my God. I know. Again, this is just a letter of somebody saying this. There's no way to verify this, but this is like literally the scene from Independence Day when they fucking go. Literally. To the, yeah. I'm like expecting the guy to get thrown up against the glass, yeah. which scares me every time and makes me jump and I hate it, yeah. but I love it. And it's so good. Oh, it's so good. <sighs> she said, quote, My father wanted my sister and I to make this information known long after he and Cordell were dead because he felt it was a very important bit of information, end quote. So if- Yeah, no fucking shit. Yeah. And if this is true, that means that as early as like 1939, we had them, had had proof of extraterrestrials possibly, and- and minimum. we're literally, like, jokingly showing them people, like, I'm just going to bring my cousin. Okay. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and at minimum, at least inspired that scene in Independence Day. Oh, I this fucking hope so. has to be. Oh, my gosh. Because it has to be the inspiration for it. Right? Because it's the exact same thing. Thank you. 
I mean, that fed all of my sci-fi dreams forever. I was like, <laughs> fucking here for it. This is one of those where I was like, I can't find a second source for it. And I was like, fuck it. Just preface it with it's crazy and just throw it in there. You Can know you, you want to talk about it. No! Like, you want to see some crazy shit? Oh my God, it's so- <laughs> That's what you're like, you're like, what the it's fuck? It's secretly my dream. I would, I'm going to say... I would play it so cool, but inside I would be, like, losing my shit. I would play yeah. it so cool just so I could be like, I got to get the fuck out of here so I can tell somebody else about this yeah. because this is insanity. Like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, like, yeah. yeah I mean, I saw Aliens, like, last week, too. That's yeah, cool. awesome. Fine. Like, I'm just, like, challenge like, Oh, my fucking God! It's, like, worth the aquarium. It's, like, fun. Huh? Where's the gift shop? <laughs> Guys, no, I stop. have no fucking chill. No. Oh, my God. I would God. flip the fuck out. I, I mean. I would flip the fuck out. They would have to be, like... <laughs> Monique is has you know relocated like they'd put me like witness protection or just kill me or something because they're like this bitch is gonna blab all over town I love that first of all you know I'm all talk because if you've ever seen me see a really cute dog while I'm walking down the street in New York you will know I have absolutely no chill my whole the people always give the look of dread when they see me coming because my whole face is like lit up I'm staring at their dog like I'm ready to steal it they're always like oh my god this girl please don't and then I Oh, it's just nice to walk by and I'm like, your dog's really cute. And I look like a psycho. I know. Thanks. Oh, that's me with cats. Really? Oh, big time. Okay. I like lose my shit. And then I start, yeah. So just finding out about this. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So um, when you don't have a cat, you're not a big like. Well, that's because I'm selfish. And I, no, truly. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't. It's a responsibility you don't want to. Yeah. I don't have plans for the same fucking reason. Yeah. I'm like, I have to like keep them alive. Yeah. You know? No, but if I like encounter cats, I lose my mind. And so growing up first generation American, this was never explicitly said, but I guess learning through example and through osmosis, like children who are in the family, like babies, we always speak to in Spanish, like little things yeah. we speak to in Spanish because they're going to learn English anyway. So we have to get them to the Spanish first, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. So there's a thing of like little things we speak to in Spanish. So when I see a cat, I automatically start like baby talking in Spanish. That's adorable. That's the cutest thing ever. Because Nellie got two cats and I was like, this is really weird, but all I want to do is just talk to them in Spanish. And be like, like, what What the the fuck fuck is wrong with you? I know. I'm just losing my mind over the cats. That's really cute. Yeah. I'm that makes me want to get a box full of cats and just like <gasps> sprinkle them on Monique's path next time we're fucking oh God. scheduled I to meet. Lose my shit. <laughs> I would lose my shit. I've like gone to the cat cafes Noted. and shit. Have like, you? Shit. Yeah, but they like. I don't think those are cool because they just don't want to hang out with you. Yeah, I do get excited. And then people are like, "I want to touch you." I'm like, "Leave the fucking cats alone. If they want to hang out with you, they'll well, come to you." Yeah, that's their jam. It just felt like a very, like, the cat's being like, I don't, there's like, too many people here and I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. You're like forcing yourself on the cat So I didn't, point. I didn't like that. I get that. I do get really excited if you go into like a bodega or my liquor store <gasps> right up the street has a cat in it weirdly. Bodega cat. Yes. It's for the, I, it's for the rats. The rats. Fuck yeah. New York. I what never, okay. <laughs> the rat thing came out of my mouth as if I knew that, but I did you not just put, it put together that right together now. until Monique obviously pointed it out, which... That yeah. makes total sense. Yeah, like that's why. So obviously. Because also, like, because the health inspector everywhere. will shut that shit down if there's rats oh, in yeah. there. So they're like, oh, we just get a cat. And they are literally the most efficient hunters of the cat world. Yeah. Literally. That was the thing Fact. I remember seeing during the pandemic of, like, bodegas that were closed that people would put up signs being like, don't worry, like, we've taken the cat, cat. and he's oh. fine. 
That's good. People get worried. Of course. Yeah. I'd be like, what the fuck is happening with the cat? cat. Is he okay? Yeah. yeah. No, I lose my mind over like, like, because I am secretly a cat lady and I can't have, have one because I want seven. So I just can't have any of them. Okay. That makes sense. That's where I'm at. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Red pandas, nothing. the same. Holy fuck. I can't handle them. I want like 52 of them I in my apartment. They're so cute. And then I just like tumbling with it. each other. I can't. They're so cute. Foxes, same thing with me. Yes. Like foxes, any sort of, oh, so cute. Fun facts. All right. I'm obsessed with cats. I love it. <laughs> now I'm ready to get an ocelot. Let's do this, Monique. <gasps> like Archer. Repuscular. Yes! Yes! <laughs> what was the name of that fucking ocelot? It was a weird name. It is also the name of Dali had an ocelot and it was also the name of his ocelot of it starts it with a b yeah it's not baloo which is the dog i just it's like watched Berger it's... or something like that no that's follows Berger. it's like it's right on the tip of my tongue and i'm gonna be so pissed when you tell me it's babu is it babu yeah no baboon i'm thinking baloo which is the thing baboo. i knew it was close to that baboo. Yes. yes but yes it's the same as salvador dali had an ocelot that was named that there you go See, this is Archer is a way smarter show than you fucking think it is, and you have no idea how highly intelligent that show actually is. I so do, much because I had to look up, and yeah. then I've been like, I have no idea that's what the fuck it was referencing. Like, I'm ridiculous. Yeah, it'll be like the man who invented the elevator, and I'm like, yes, who the fuck is that? There yeah. you go. Archer's amazing. So good, so good. The All right, best segues ever. Okay, which speaking, speaking of, let's of, segue, let's back segue into right this. back. <laughs> All right, we're on to Truman now. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until the Truman administration that a president had to address the presence of UFOs directly. Holy shit. Because in 1952, during his administration... Is this War of the Worlds? No. Oh, okay. I didn't bring that up at all. I did... That was actually mentioned in this book, though, and it was interesting, but basically... People lost their shit. So that part was a hoax. They put those articles out saying people lost their minds to see if they could get people... To panic unnecessarily by oh. one airing it and then releasing those articles, which were apparently not true. People did not actually lose their minds about it, which I didn't know. I'm that very to glad to hear that. Yes. So because that has always been very upsetting to me. Yes. Apparently that is not true. That was... Good. Gives me uh, hope for the human race. Yes. So that was them basically determining whether... <laughs> We actually were Sheeple. prepared to hear about UFOs and they were like, let's see if we can just like freak them the fuck out with a story and yeah. just some news articles and then we'll like see what they're, if they're prepared for it. I guess I mean, we failed because they weren't like, hey, you guys did a great job. We think you can handle it. By the way. I mean, Orson Welles reading anything is pretty fucking rad. I went down this rabbit hole of, uh, <laughs> God, so I say, th- like, I think things and I say them and then I'm like, this is why I'm single. Um. <laughs> And I'm always like, marry me after she says it. So <laughs> I went down this rabbit hole, like, I think it was last summer, of listening. Uh, Orson Welles recorded himself reading the Bible. And, oh. But him reading Revelations is rad as fuck. I'm sure. I'm Let sure that's a uh, fucking ride. Damn. It's like very metal and rock and Yeah, roll. I was going to say that's like fire and brimstone. Intense as fuck. It's yeah. Orson Welles. Fuck. Uh, so, like, you're telling me about aliens. It's Orson Welles is telling me about aliens. I'm going to buy that shit. I fucking love that Fuck so yeah. much. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, you can find that. Uh, I was like, I'm put that on my YouTube playlist. There you go. <laughs> right when you're working out. There you go. Yes. Yes. And the dead rose the- from the grave. And the nights became black. It's and that. the days became black. And it's the audio from last week's episode of the dad beating the shit out of the pedophile. It's how I get pumped. There you the go. Gym. Yeah. Boom. 
1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident, also known as the Washington Flat, the Washington National Airport sightings, or the invasion of Washington, Mm. was a series of unidentified flying object reports from July 12th to July 29th, 1952, over Washington, D.C., The most publicized sightings took place on consecutive weekends, July 19th and 20th, and then July 26th through 27th. At 11.40 p.m. on Saturday, July 19th, 1952, an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport, which is today Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport, spotted seven objects on the radar. Holy shit. The objects were located 15 miles south-southwest of the city and were not following any established flight paths. No known aircraft were in the area at the time, and Henry Barnes, a senior air traffic controller, watched the objects on the radar scope. He said, quote, We knew immediately that a very strange situation existed. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft. End quote. Holy shit. He had two controllers check the radar, only to find it was working normally. When he called National Airport's radar-equipped control tower to check in with them, the controllers there said they also had unidentified blips on their radar screen and saw a hovering, quote, bright light in the sky, Mm. which then departed with incredible speed. Then other objects started appearing in all sectors of the radar scope. When they began to move over the White House and the United States Capitol, Barnes called Andrews Air Force Base. Oh, shit. The base reported that they had no unusual objects on their radar, but an airman had called the base's control tower to report the sighting of a strange object. Airman William Brady said he saw, quote, an object which appeared to be like an orange ball of fire trailing a tail. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, end quote. Oh, man. When he tried to alert the other personnel in the tower, the strange object just took off at an unbelievable speed. As you can imagine, the bizarre sightings on July 19th through 20th made front page headlines. Then again, the following weekend, on Saturday, July 26th, at 8.15 p.m., a pilot and a stewardess on a National Airlines flight into Washington observed some lights above their plane. Oh, shit. Within minutes, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews Air Force Base were tracking more unknown objects. United States Air Force Master Sergeant Charles E. Cummings personally observed the objects at Andrews and later said that, quote, these lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There was no trails. They traveled faster than any shooting star I have ever seen, end quote. Oh, shit. The press spokesman for Project Blue Book which if oh, you yeah. don't know, yeah, is the U.S. government's official investigation into the UFO phenomenon. I think there was a series on that. I think it was yes. a scripted series. I yes. didn't watch it. There totally was. Yeah. Albert M. Chop, who happened to be in D.C. at the time, arrived at National Airport and, due to security concerns, denied several reporters' requests to photograph the radar screens, obviously. By the time he joined the Radar Center Purcell, around 9.30, they were detecting unknown objects in every sector. At times, they traveled slowly. At other times, they reversed direction and moved across the radar scope at speeds calculated at up to 7,000 miles per hour. (gasps) Holy shit. Which is utter insanity. Yeah. At 11.30 p.m., two F-94 Starfire jet fighters arrived over Washington. Captain John McHugo, the flight leader, was directed towards the radar blips but saw nothing despite repeated attempts. His wingman, Lieutenant William Patterson, on the other hand, did see four white quote, glows, and chased them. He told investigators that he had tried to make contact with the bogeys below a 1,000 feet, but stopped chasing them because he had hit his maximum speed and knew there was no chance of overtaking them. When ground control asked Patterson if he saw anything, Patterson said, quote, I see them now and they're all around me. What should I do? <gasps> oh my End quote. God. Albert Chop said, 
quote, and nobody answered because <gasps> we didn't know what to tell him, end quote. Oh my god. All those, I know, it's crazy. All those present in the radar room were convinced the targets were most likely caused by solid metallic objects. Like, they're used to reading radar. That's not- Yeah, of course. It's, they're used to seeing fucking clouds and weather shit and all of this- yeah, there's a, there's, that's the thing. There's like a huge difference between you and me. We don't know shit. I don't know fuck. shit, yeah. But when people, that it's their job to look at. And they see this. The, the crafts and the skies day. and yeah. they know what everything looks like. And they're like, we don't know what the fuck this is. But yeah. it has the characteristics of a metal thing based off of everything else we've ever seen. You gotta fucking pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, I have some questions and concerns. Thanks. For sure. Yeah. The sightings of July 26th to July 27th also made front page headlines, as you can imagine, and led President Harry Truman to have his Air Force aide call the director of Project Blue Book, Edward J. Ruppelt, to ask for an explanation of the sightings and unknown radar returns. On July 29th, 1952, Air Force Major Generals John Stamford, United States Air Force Director of Intelligence, and Roger Ramey, United States Air Force Director of Operations, held a well-attended press conference at the Pentagon regarding the unexplained sightings over the White House and the Capitol. Stanford stated that the visual sightings over Washington could be explained. <sighs> Is this the Nerf It's the Air Force. Bullshit? It's the, yeah, I mean, it's their, it's their legal, their legal answer. Explained as misidentified aerial phenomena such as stars or meteors and unknown radar targets could be explained by temperature inversion, which was present in the air over Washington. On both nights, the radar returns were reported. Sure, Jim. Yeah, I highly doubt that. Eventually, the CIA formed, quote, a special study group within the Office of Scientific Intelligence and the Office of Current Intelligence to review the situation. Well, why are they doing a special study group if it's just stars? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you know, just don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. It's not a it. thing. It's not a thing, but we're, but we're going we're gonna we're gonna to get into a, a task force to discuss how it's not a thing. Though. We're going to look into it. Edward Taft. You guys are the fucking worst at this. <laughs> they're, they're not great. Guys. <laughs> but here's the thing. No one believes anybody. So the people right. who believe in aliens don't believe everyone who's like, no, you guys are ridiculous. That's clearly not happening. And vice people, versa. Right, of course. They're like, you believe in aliens. You're ridiculous. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But like, okay. So like, let's say someone to, to put it in a different context. Let's say someone was like, guys, Bigfoot has been murdering all these people in this town. And then the mayor comes out and is like, guys, Bigfoot isn't real. Like there's just like a dude who like hasn't shaved. And <laughs> what's really happening? Hairy, yeah. Right? He's just like kind of weird. And you're like, it's not real. Like calm down, go home. And then you find out he has assembled, like, a Bigfoot task force. You're like, kill me, what's happening here? Yeah. Because you, you just, just told said. me this isn't real. You said the thing. So if, if you actually believe it's not real, then why are you assembling this situation to look into a thing that's not real? We're just doing it to calm you guys, because you guys were really upset about it. So we're just doing it for your sake. We know nothing's going on, but, like, this is for you to make you feel better. I call bullshit. I agree. I agree, Monique. So, Edward Taus reported for the group that most UFO sightings could be easily explained. Nonetheless, he recommended that the agency continue monitoring the problem, end quote. The oddly high numbers of UFO reports in 1952 disturbed both the Air Force and the CIA. The CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence sent a memo to Walter B. Smith, the CIA's director, stating that, quote, the flying saucer situation has national security implications. Mm. 
In the public concern with the phenomenon lies the potential for the touching off of mass hysteria and <gasps> panic, end quote. Holy shit. Which, like, is true, I guess. Sure. I mean, yeah, but, yeah. like, shit. Yeah. As a result, the Robertson panel was created in January 1953. Dr. Howard P. Robertson, a physicist, chaired the panel, which consisted of prominent scientists and which spent four days examining the quote-unquote best UFO cases collected by Project Blue Book. As you probably guessed, the panel dismissed nearly all of the UFO cases it examined as not representing anything unusual or threatening to national security. According to them, the Air Force and Project Blue Book needed to spend less time analyzing and studying UFO reports and more time publicly debunking them. Like, okay. All right. Sure. I mean, fine. I feel like that's kind of what they're trying to do by studying and analyzing it, but whatever. Whatever makes you feel better. Right. So only weeks after the UFO invasion over Washington, D.C., and months before he was nominated by the Republican Party for the 1952 presidential election, retired Supreme Allied Commander in Europe during World War II and retired General of the Army, Dwight D. Eisenhower, initiated NATO military exercises in the North Sea, codenamed Operation Main Race. It was a massive international war games exercise that brought together 80,000 military personnel 1,000 planes, and 200 ships from nine countries. Holy shit. But apparently, there were also some unexpected attendees. Mm. Because apparently there were multiple sightings of unidentified flying objects during Operation Main Brace, <gasps> which were documented by pilots and naval officers and appeared on radar according to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, a federal agency that compiled witness accounts of UFO encounters from the 1950s through the 1980s. One encounter, and this is again during Operation Main Brace, mm -hmm. involved a blue-green triangle which was <gasps> observed flying over the sea at a speed estimated to be around 1,500 miles per hour. What the fuck? Yeah. Later that same day, three unidentified objects traveling at around the same speed were seen flying in a triangular formation. Mm. All three craft reportedly admitted a, quote, white light exhaust, end quote. Oh. So... I read an account that said Eisenhower himself was present for these war games, but since I couldn't find a collaborating source for that, I'm not actually sure that he was. Regardless, he was the one who initiated the exercise before running for president, and I'm sure he was aware of the stories of the UFOs that joined in. Like, if you're the guy that plans the thing, they obviously are like, obviously. hey, some weird shit went down with your party, by the way, like, just to let you know. BT dubs. BT dubs. Yeah. By the time Eisenhower was officially president, the government's policy was to debunk UFO sightings publicly, even as officials became more secretive and maintained massive clandestine files on the subject. Hmm. Eisenhower was also rumored to have, quote unquote, disappeared <gasps> while on a golfing vacation in Palm Springs, California. What the fuck? The theory is that he secretly slipped away to the airfield in Palmdale for an off-the-books type meeting, mm. which I don't know if you remember in Lex's story, she grew up in Palmdale and they yeah. do have like a big Air Force base and she said like sketchy shit yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of used to happen all the time around there. I'm so here for this. Right? According to psychic and mystic Gerald Light, a self-professed authority on talking to extraterrestrial beings, he was present during this secret meeting with <gasps> Eisenhower. In a letter to his friend Mead Lane, an early researcher of ufology and parapsychology, he described the intense security procedures they went through before he was shown five separate and distinct types of aircraft being studied and handled by our Air Force officials. Holy shit. Light claimed the military was operating, quote, with the assistance and permission of the Ethereans, end quote. Okay. And that's like this thing that the friend he's writing to is like, 
called these beings from a parallel dimension that he's theorized exist. And Gerald said, quote, I have no words to express my reactions, end quote. Obviously, there's no way to validate this, and the source of the information is a self-proclaimed psychic. So, again, right. do with that information what you will. Sus. But supposedly, when questioned about the odd trip and his disappearance, the official response was that Eileen Howard... Hi! What are you talking about? <laughs> ...had a dental emergency after he chipped a tooth on a chicken wing. Honey, what are you doing with those chicken wings? I mean, going to town, apparently. Fucking... I guess so. There's a bone in there. Yeah. This is before boneless. <laughs> Settle down. Settle down. Take a breath. Yeah. Also, that's horse shit, but, you know. Yeah. Although, my friend did break his tooth on a slice of pizza, and I was like, what fucking pizza did you have? How? I don't know, but he did. That's awful. I chipped my tooth once eating a salad, which was really depressing, on the fork. I just, like, didn't... Oof. Yeah. I didn't calculate right, and I just, like, ever so slightly. It happens when I'm calling bullshit. A salad of all things. Okay. Yeah. That's... I mean, I would never eat a salad again. I'd be like, the salad betrayed me. <laughs> I was really upset. I was like, the one time I eat a fucking salad. This was like when I was not healthy. Either, so I was like, the one time I eat a salad, like, this is what happens to me. This is what I get. This is what I don't do this. Burgers and wings from here on out. All the time. Yes. Always. Grilled cheese. I want something soft. Fuck yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Mm. So now let's talk about Kennedy, guys. Oh, shit. I'm sure all of you are fully aware of the rumored affair between Marilyn Monroe and JFK. Did Kennedy have a three-way with an alien? <gasps> Damn it, Monique. I wish that was the case. Why are your stories always so much better than mine? Because I'm a fucking perv. I'm a three-way with an alien. That's great. <laughs> That's great. E.T.'s got that finger, man. You never know. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Damn. There you go. I was trying to come up with a joke, and it was never going to be better than that. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, nope, it's not there. I was like, do I do a shitty Kennedy impression? No, I'm not going to. And it wasn't going to be better than that joke. (laughs) So, no threesome. But there is a conspiracy theory that Marilyn actually knew too much classified information about the U.S.'s history, specifically with extraterrestrials and UFOs. So they bumped her off because she knew about the fucking alien? And she was like, I'm going to swallow tea. I'm going to say some shit. And they were like, no, bitch, you're not. Watch us. Apparently, that's the room. Again. Allegedly. Allegedly. Over, I just, maybe it's because I just don't give a fuck to this level that I'm like, like if tomorrow the government was like, yeah, totally aliens. This has been a thing forever. We've covered it up. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. I think I get it. Cool. Thanks for coming out and saying it. Like the, Here's the thing. Even if they did come out and say it now, like half the people wouldn't believe them anyway. So I don't understand why it even really matters anymore. Yeah, I just, to me, it doesn't affect my life either way. Now, if they were like, you know, we've been feeding the aliens undesirables, then yeah, that's a fucking issue. But if they're like, they exist and like, we've made contact, all right, cool. All right. Yeah. I would have a million follow-up questions, but yeah, I'd be chill about it. See, I don't even have follow-up questions. I'd be like, all right. Oh my God, Monique. No. Oh my god! I'm just like okay. I mean, because also like to me, I assume that this is a fact. Yeah, because it's the laws of probability dictate it has to be so. Yeah, but I want to know like to what extent like is the base on the moon that Terry Lovelace said he saw real? Like, what is the extent here? Are they actually doing? I mean, if harvesting our eggs and our sperm, like they did with at least uh, Barney Hill. Yeah, Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if they have human beings on the payroll, that's fucked. That's scary. Yeah. Which, 
might they be might. the case. Yeah. As per, Especially as if, per Terry Lovelace. Yeah. Again. And also, if you just believe that we've had contact with them and haven't done anything about that, then obviously we're kind of working with them, right? Because we were like, hey. Yeah. On the DL, though. Cool, cool. We're not going to spill that tea. No, fuck That tea's no. scalding. Fucking scalding, Moni. Mm-hmm. You burn your tongue on that one. <laughs> Stop it. Can't taste anything for days. <laughs> so hot. So apparently after John broke things off with Marilyn, feeling scorned, she began threatening to go public not only about her affair with him, but, but also, also banging his brother. That too. Uh-huh. Uh, also about their appointments with Max Dr. Feelgood Jacobson and his special yeah. vitamin cocktail, which yeah. was apparently just 40 milligrams of methamphetamine, which yep. they like straight up just like mm-hmm. shot into your thigh, which yeah. that's intense. Yeah, that time period's really wild. It's really wild, yeah. I mean, that's they got Judy Garland to smoke a fuck ton of cigarettes and got her hooked on meth uh, during Wizard of Oz so that she could stay thin because she was too fat, apparently, in Wizard of Oz. Jesus, that's yeah. insanity. Yeah, she was like so 14 years yeah. old. And they got her like smoking like 50 cigarettes oh! a day. like And like on like her like pills. Like speed, yeah. Yeah, on yeah. speed to get like her to pills. keep her thin. Fuck. This fucking time was wild. Wild. Ugh. So bad for you. Just days before her death, ruled a suicide by the L.A. County Medical Examiner, Marilyn made a phone call to Attorney General Robert Kennedy at the U.S. Department of Justice. Mm. Since Marilyn was under surveillance because of her relationship to the president and under surveillance from the FBI because of her relationship to Robert Kennedy, the threatening phone call was obviously recorded. Mm. And from the call, it's clear that Marilyn was in possession of details that could only have been passed on to her by President Kennedy. Regarding some of the most closely it, like, held secrets. Yep. I mean, come on. One of the things Marilyn threatened to reveal was a, quote, visit by the president at a secret airbase for the purpose of inspecting things from outer space. Wait, what the fuck? End quote. This is recorded. Yeah, it's like <gasps> in a transcript. Yeah. Get the fuck I didn't know this. And it's one of those things like... It's vague enough that, like, I mean, outer, things from outer space could be moon rocks, technically. It doesn't have to be anything, like, insidious and extraterrestrial, but, like, it totally girl, is come on. Why would you, why would you, if it's moon rocks, like, it's just moon rocks. Fuck? Who gives a fuck? I wouldn't even threaten to tell that story. That's the stupidest yeah. story ever. Yeah. The bigger story is, like, I'm banging the president and his brother. And the and president was married. like, by the way, aliens are real. While they're fucking cuddling after they just boned. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, best pillow talk ever. <laughs> oh, my God. It's my dream man. He's like, let me tell you all the UFO secrets. I'm like, oh, Johnny, my God. step your pussy up. Right? All right, now that I'm like all flustered. On November 12, 1963, less than two weeks before he was assassinated in Dallas, President Kennedy wrote a top secret memo, which has only been recently declassified under the Freedom of Information Act. In it, President Kennedy requested UFO data for NASA and the White House from the director of the CIA. Oh, shit. He discussed wanting to set up a program with the Soviet Union for joint cooperation in space exploration. This probably didn't sit well with the keepers of the secrets. Mm. So they kind of posit that that's also one of the reasons he was assassinated. Oh. Was not only Marilyn. It was a hit. Yes. But that he... Was trying to get this. He got sloppy. He was trying to get this UFO data from the CIA. They did not like that. He wanted to work with the Soviets because of these UFOs, because supposedly he was like, if they're they flying the between ship. us, 
we don't want to think it's the Russians and sh- and then fire nuclear fucking at the bombs Russians. at the Russians over the UFOs that aren't even yeah. that or vice versa. They see these things, think they're ours. They're not ours. He was like, we just need to like be above yeah. board about everything so we don't get nuclear holocausted yeah. accidentally. Okay, thanks. And they were like, not about that. Based on the suspicious and untimely deaths of both Marilyn and JFK, some UFO conspiracy theorists believe that her threat to go public with classified information and his inquiries into the subject were contributing factors in their deaths. I know, I feel like I sound like an episode of Ancient Aliens. I'm like, according to some ancient astronaut theorists. (laughs) I love it. Now on to Gerald Ford. Let's get into some personal experiences here. On March 28th. This is more... Kind of contemporary a little bit. Yeah, we're going, I'm going kind of chronologically here. So like we're getting into our contemporary stuff now. We're hitting like 1966, guys. So. Um, Is that long ago? Clearly don't know my presidents. This is prior to him. This is slightly prior to him becoming president. He is still a member of the House of Representatives at this point. No, you are totally correct in your presidential knowledge. No. My family would be pissed as shit if I got that wrong. No. On March 28, 1966, Gerald Ford, who would become vice president under Richard Nixon after his previous vice president resigned, and then president after Nixon resigned, wrote to Chairman Mendel Rivers of the House Armed Services Committee and Chairman George Miller of the House Science and Astronautics Committee to call for an investigation of the Hillsdale UFO sightings in his home state of Michigan. Oh, shit. Which he served as a member of the House of Representatives and as House Minority Leader. Did you bring this up in another episode? I don't think so. Oh, then it was another like representative who was like, can we look into the shit that's happening? In this yes, yes. Yes. This yes, was yes. the cattle mutilations. Yes. Yes yes, yes. 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 Okay. Sure. Putting it together. Yes. Boom. We're back on track. Yes. In the early morning of March 14th, 1966, Washtenaw County sheriffs and police in neighboring jurisdictions reported disc shaped objects moving at fantastic speeds and making sharp turns, <gasps> diving and climbing and hovering at one point. Four UFOs in straight-line formation were observed. Selfridge Air Force Base confirmed tracking UFOs over Lake Erie at 4.56 a.m. Over 100 witnesses reported seeing the same shaped objects making impossible hairpin turns, hovering in midair, and sweeping off at speeds greater than any airplane could have made. Mm. Ford wrote, quote, No doubt you have noted the recent flurry of newspaper stories about UFOs. I have taken special interest in these accounts because many of the latest reported sightings have been in my home state of Michigan. I think there may be substance to some of these reports, and because I believe the American people are entitled to a more thorough explanation than has been given to them by the Air Force to date, I am proposing that either the Science and Astronautics Committee or the Armed Services Committee of the House schedule hearings on the subject of UFOs and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to have seen UFOs. Mm. End quote. Ford said he had received a number of telegrams urging a congressional investigation of UFOs. One was from retired Air Force Colonel Harold R. Brown, Ardmore, Tennessee, who says, quote, I have seen UFO, will be able to testify, end quote. Ford believed the American people, quote, deserved a better explanation than thus far given by the Air Force. I strongly recommend that there be a committee of the UFO phenomena. I think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding UFOs and to produce the greatest possible enlightenment on this subject, end quote. Facts. Right? So Nixon's presidency, although remembered primarily for Watergate and his resignation, was also the presidency of our first flight to the moon, the moon landing, and the end of Project Blue Book after the Condon report. And this is another one of those, like, ridiculous stories that, like, 
again, you're hearing it like from somebody, so you don't know how to verify right. it really. But apparently Nixon was really good friends with Jackie Gleason, okay. who was obsessed with one thing. The truth about UFOs and the paranormal. Oh, shit. Apparently, he had read and collected over 1,500 books on UFOs. And while Nixon said he neither could nor would tell him anything substantial about UFOs, rumor has it that one night, (gasps) an unescorted President Nixon showed up at Jackie Gleason's front door and invited him to take a ride with him. Get the fuck out. Gleason said as reported by author Larry Warren, that the two of them drove to Homestead Air Force Base to a far end of the base to a section that was separated from the rest of the facility, Jackie Gleason said, quote, Next, we went into an inner chamber, and there were six or eight of what looked like glass-topped Coke (gasps) freezers. Inside them were the mangled remains of what I took to be children. (gasps) Then, upon closer examination, I saw that some of the other figures looked quite old. Most of them were terribly mangled as if they had been in an accident. Oh, shit. End quote. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but apparently other people have told the same story, including Gleason's friends at Sony Pictures when he was making his final film. Executives at the studio remembered that Gleason would not stop talking about the UFO debris he saw and the alien bodies and how that affected his entire life from Holy that point shit. on. shit. As quoted by then-spouse Beverly Gleason to historian Grant Cameron, quote, Jackie had been out very late one night. I did not know who he was with. He told me where he was that same evening. He said he had been in South Florida with President Nixon to see some dead aliens there. And I believed him. He was very convincing. Oh, shit. So apparently Nixon showed Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason didn't give a fuck and told everybody, including his wife and, like, people he worked with. And there's just fucking... Alien bodies chilling out on Homestead Air Force Base. In Homestead? Holy shit. Yeah, that's what it said. Yeah. South Florida, President Nixon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Girl, go find it. Yeah. That's a trek. (laughs) (laughs) Homestead's far from Miami. That's fair. After President Nixon, Ford is officially president now. So prior to him being president, he asked them to seriously look into this. He said that if there were presidents who had been given those secret UFO files, he was not one of them and could not shed any light on the subject. That sounds like someone who knows a lot of shit was told to shut the fuck up. I mean, that's what I would like to think. This is another one of those, like, I don't know if I believe it, but it's like fucking just like a weird little thing. So obviously there were those two assassination attempts on Gerald Ford. And apparently both of those were committed by people who had ties to Charles Manson. Oh, yeah. So Squeaky from... Right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. So one of the claims that Manson made to Norris during an interview for his story in Serial Killers was this revelation that he and his gang like worked black ops, quote unquote, for the government. I mean. Which like we all were like bullshit. Sure, I mean, like you wish. So basically he like claimed that he was like leading a men in black enterprise basically whenever he was ordered to do so by the government and pressed further on why the Manson gang was ordered to strike at Ford, not once, but twice, apparently Manson told Norris, and this was all he said, quote, UFOs, end quote. I don't know whether to believe that, because, the, again, the, tra- you, the Mansonisms, like, he yeah. just, just says crazy fucking fuck shit. So, 
But I just like, that's too fucking weird not to fucking throw it in there for shits and giggles. See, if it were someone else, I would have, it'd be more credible to me. Yes. It's yes. Because his it's, brain is yes. like fried. Fried. He literally has a swastika on his forehead. Like, I don't want to believe anything that you say. You're Not like, just that. It's like hard to even interpret anything he says. You're like, what oh, the fuck it's are like you talking about? Babble. Yeah. Again, literally that Bob Odenkirk, it's Ben Stiller thing. Spot like, on. It's, you're like, what the fuck are you talking literally, about? Literally, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? It is literally on par with a dog barking and you being like, Timmy's in trouble. <laughs> like, that's how nonsensical it is. So It's so true. I mean, that could be cool, but I that one I I have a tough time giving any credence to. Yes. Yes, I agree. So Ford obviously like wanted them to really investigate the UFOs. And while he was president, he actually did kind of get like an official report of at least one because oh, shit. there was this UFO dogfight over the Iranian desert. What the fuck? With this, yeah. Basically the pilot experienced missing time. He <gasps> got back to base safely, but basically didn't know how he got back to base. Had this fucking like long dogfight where literally he chased them around and was shooting at them was very open about thinking they were UFOs and not being able to identify them and not being able to catch them or shoot them or anything. And was like, kind of like not ridiculed, was like promoted within his government. He actually like went on to become a member of the chiefs of military staff Mm. uh, for the Ayatollah's military during the country's eight year war with Iraq. Yeah. And was a credible witness who had made numerous trips to the United States where he appeared on different talk shows And uh, upon his return to the base after the UFO encounter, he was interviewed by uniform officers of the United States Air Force. And when they made their official report, they specifically listed the White House as a destination for the report. So during Ford's last months in office while he was running for re-election, he definitely was given the report of the UFO dogfight in Tehran. Yes. For like president's eyes only. Yes. Holy shit. Crazy. In 1969, Carter, along with some friends who were leaving the Alliance Club meeting in his native state of Georgia, while he was the sitting governor of Georgia, saw and reported a UFO that flew by. (gasps) He was giving a talk at the Lions Club in Leary, and he and a dozen other people witnessed a strong blue light in the sky, which he could not explain. He was interviewed by a UFO investigator, and his report was filed with his signature on it. Oh, shit. Based on personal experience with this UFO, Carter vowed in 1975 that if elected president, he would make every file the U.S. government had on UFOs available to the public. How'd that go? It didn't go well. He didn't do that. <laughs> In his report of the UFO he himself had seen, he said it seemed to have moved towards them from a distance stopped, moved partially away, then returned and departed. He said it was bluish at first, then reddish, luminous, not solid. 10 to 12 people watched this. Oh, shit. And they said the brightness of it initially attracted them. Apparently, this was a very comprehensive report, and the description the governor gave all the more credible because of his background as a Naval Academy graduate Mm. and a Naval officer. When Carter was assuming office and he went to them to be like, hey, so uh, those UFO files, can I get those? The then director of central intelligence, George H.W. Bush, Mm. replied that he would not give the president-elect the information he requested because he had, quote, no need to know, end quote. And the information that existed was released on a, quote, Need, need to, to know, know basis, basis only. Ooh. End quote. Etch a sketch, baby. Etch a sketch. 
if there's nothing to know, why am I on a need to know basis only? Yeah. Okay, thanks. But again, there's nothing to see here. There's no, there's nothing going on. And that's that thing of like, if there's nothing to see, then just like show the thing. And just show the thing. Exactly. It's not looking great. Bush gave him a clue, though. Mm. And he basically said that some of the information that the president-elect was looking for was already in the National Archives and readily available for viewing. So Carter had... But that was it? So basically it's like, look through all the National Archives yeah, and which, maybe like, find it? Yeah, which like, it's going to be redacted as fuck. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Come on. So Carter's like, amazing. I've got this little clue. I'm going to take it. So... Carter gets this human rights lawyer, Daniel Sheehan, involved. And in January 1977, Sheehan is led to the basement of the Library of Congress at the behest of the National Research Service. There's to fucking f- jars with aliens in there, too? Oh, no, my God. Stop it. <laughs> I would be in the library tomorrow. Are you kidding me? I would be camping out in the goddamn Library of Congress. So he was following up on this request from Carter, and he was granted the authority to search some of the relevant files from Project Blue Book. He also said that Bush had asked Carter to keep him on as CIA director and that if Carter agreed to keep Bush on as CIA director, like, I'll give you the goss. I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little tidbit that he would, quote, make some of this information available to the president, end quote. That's some sneaky shit. So sneaky. The story goes that Carter was specifically warned that any release of UFO files would compromise national security. And Carter obviously backed off on his campaign promise and distanced himself from the entire UFO question, recanting his own UFO sighting report and then recanting the recant recant. after the fact. And remember, his fucking sighting was like when he was governor. He wasn't like drunk as a kid playing in a field. Right. He was literally a governor. He had just given a speech and he was like, just kidding, guys. Like, what the fuck is this? But also just kidding again because it was real. (laughs) All right, on to Reagan, you guys. Yes. According to first daughter Patty Davis, her father, Ronald Reagan, was fascinated, almost transfixed by the subject of UFOs. Reagan had personally seen UFOs on at least two occasions, and more than likely he had been briefed on the subject of UFOs when he first assumed the presidency. Reagan was about that paranormal life, because in when I did the White House yeah. roast, he had a bunch of ghost shit happen too. Shit, right? Yeah. yeah. He's about that. Fuck yeah. So the sightings apparently took place in the 1950s and then again in 1974 when he was the governor of California. Mm. Uh, Actress Shirley MacLaine, an author in her own right, related a story told to her by fellow actress, television star, and comedian Lucille Ball. Oh shit! About an event with Ronald Reagan back in the 1950s while he was still an actor. I'm so here for everything that you're going to say right now. I know, I love it. The Reagans were driving along the scenic Pacific Coast Highway that runs along the California coast on their way to a party for actor William Holden, when, according to Lucy, as reported by McLean, quote, a UFO landed and the alien emerged telling Reagan to quit acting and take up politics, end quote. Oh my God. Get the fuck out of here. I know. It's, it's, I don't know. It's so ridiculous, but like, it needed to I'm be here included. for it. I, I could not say it. Like, it's Lucille Ball saying I that give, she fucking... Whatever she says is gospel. Oh, my God. I love it. Saying that Ronald Reagan was told by an alien Saw to UFO. run for... Yes, to and run he, for office. And I was like, by the way, you're going to be president. Amazing. The I'm Gipper gonna... was great, but she got but, a... <laughs> <I love you. laughs> 
Reagan also said that he had come into contact with some of the government's information back in 1970 when Richard Nixon had shared some of the files with top colleagues in the Republican Party. <gasps> According to Reagan, Nixon was quote-unquote fascinated by it. So apparently there was this rumor that Reagan came to a screening of E.T. and then was like rushed out after the fact. What the fuck? Yeah. So they asked Steven Spielberg about this. And in an interview with Ain't It Cool News, Steven Spielberg said that President Reagan was never ushered out of the room before speaking to him. Reagan actually got up to thank him for bringing the film to show him, the president, the first lady, and all of their guests. According to him... Reagan said, quote, I wanted to thank you for bringing E.T. to the White House. We really enjoyed your movie, end quote. And then he looked around the room and said, quote, there are a number of people in this room who know that everything on that screen is absolutely true, end quote. The whole room laughed because he presented it like a joke. But according to Steven Spielberg, he wasn't smiling as he said it. Okay. Okay. Noted. You could say he's just joking. Everyone just doesn't understand his sense of humor. He has a very dry sense of humor. I mean, that's also like that thing when you have someone say something super cunty to you and it doesn't land. It's like, I mean, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You know, I'm joking, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. President Reagan said to the United States General Assembly on September 21st, 1987, quote, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world, end quote. And apparently his speechwriter took this out of his speech (gasps) and he literally writes a handwritten note. You can like see it on the speech where he was like, no, you need to put the alien force statement back in. Like, I don't want to leave that out. And this is apparently something he said on several occasions, this, like, idea of all of us uniting against yeah, a like common tribalism. enemy. Yeah. Yes. Just what interesting. Just to note, yeah, I thought it was kind of a weird thing to say. I think it's true. I do think we would all, like, get on board with each other and forget our petty differences if there was yeah, a... Yeah, that's usually yeah. how that goes. Not holding my breath on that one, though. <laughs> so... Bush Sr., who, as we established, was in the fucking know because yeah. he was the head he's of the fucking... Tits deep in this. Tits deep in this. Yeah, yeah. he's the fucking head of the CIA. CIA. Yeah. I'm bringing him up only because he's, like, rumored to have this quote where he says, quote, Americans can't handle the truth about UFOs, end quote. I did a little bit of research, and literally in, like, 15 minutes of research, it kind of it's seemed deeper. to fall apart, and it yeah. doesn't... There, I really can't find... He supposedly said this, like, at an event for his son, Jeb Bush. Okay. So, like, you'd think this would be better documented. Yeah. The only instance I can really find of it seems to almost be, like, an, an onion-type site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't trust that. So, I don't think yeah. that's correct. So, I'm including it because if you've heard that, I don't actually think that's true. So, mm. take that with a grain of salt. Good to know. That being said, he probably knows more than anybody oh. else about the matter. 10,000%. Yeah. So, on to the Clintons. Apparently, both of them were very interested in UFOs. Bill Clinton did want to know, and Webster Hubel, Clinton's associate attorney general, wrote in his memoir that President Clinton asked him to find out all that he could about two things. Who killed JFK? Oh, shit. And what the government knew about UFOs. Damn. Yep. And he said that the president was stonewalled by the relevant agencies and 
basically said there was a secret government that closely holds secrets to which the president doesn't even have access. Wow. Yep. That's fucked. For fucking real. According to John Austin in the UK's Express, as far back as Bill Clinton's first term in office in 1993, Hillary Clinton was talking up UFOs with Lawrence Rockefeller, who funded initiatives to research UFOs. Mm. From early 1993, the businessman became a lengthy approach to Bill Clinton for disclosure, which became the Rockefeller Initiative. Obviously, they're interested in the UFOs. They want to know. Everyone wants to know. It's the mm. fucking thing you fucking want to know when you go yeah. on to be president. However, he actually, again, was another one of those presidents who kind of had to deal with a big news UFO sighting coming up during his presidency. Yeah. On March 13th, 1997... It's the Hale-Bopp Comet. Yeah, which, that's you know, right. Heaven's Gate, obviously, sure. big fucking deal. Everyone's fucking out looking for this fucking comet. Thousands of witnesses in Phoenix, Arizona on March 13th, 1997, while they're waiting to see this fucking comet, see something that is not just a comet. Mm-hmm. They reported a strange sight of six orange lights in a triangular pattern slowly moving towards the southeast and making no sound except for what the observers were saying was wind. Another crazy part. So apparently, Kurt Russell was flying his private plane during this, uh, the Phoenix Light, the night of the Phoenix Lights, and says that he saw a UFO, reported it, forgot that he had been the, like, unnamed witness in the air who had reported it until later when they kind of, like, Mentioned it. Mentioned like, it to oh, him. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, that was me. And then he had this whole moment on talk show where he was like, yeah, I noticed it. And then I just kind of like forgot about it. And I just like Alien went back apathy. to what it. Alien apathy. Yes, dude. It's so apparently really common with this instance in particular of the Phoenix Lights of like, this apparently was a huge black boomerang shaped object that literally flew close enough to people's houses where they felt like they could throw rocks to hit it it was huge and people literally were just like that's the craziest thing i've ever seen and then like turned around and walked back inside and like didn't talk about it with anybody they were with or anything like there's multiple i read multiple witness testimonies of this happening where people were like i was having a party and we all walked outside and looked at this and then we all just simultaneously like shrugged and walked back inside and was like didn't say a single word to each other about the fact they all just saw this crazy thing. Dude, Kurt, Kurt Russell's wild. Kurt like, Russell is wild. So apparently Kurt Russell saw a UFO and didn't remember that he had seen a UFO until like years later. Yeah, and also like Walt Disney's last words were, <gasps> were Kurt, Kurt Russell. Because of this UFO, you guys. He fucking knows. I mean, he knows. Kurt Russell, what the fuck? What do you know? What are you hiding? What Tell do me you know? Will you come on our celebrity ghost story? <gasps> <Yes>. <laughs> And he's, again, the quote is, the fascinating part is to me that it just went literally out of my head, end quote. And again, you're thinking, okay, it's all these, like, witnesses, a bunch of people, like, they don't, Kurt Russell doesn't know. Like, what does he know? He's not an expert. He escaped from LA and New York. These are some facts. Oh my God, those were amazing movies. Fuck yeah. For the record. Fuck Snake, yeah. Snake Plimpton? The Thing? Yeah. Also, Oh my on, God, man. amazing. Fuck yeah. And a total babe. Holy fuck. Oh my God, he's so hot. I can't oh even. Oh God. Yeah. Seriously. Ugh, totally. Central. So again. Okay, you're like actors or whatever. It's like people. The fucking governor of fucking Arizona saw this. Mm. Literally said, quote, I saw a large velvety illuminated triangular shaped object, end quote. He 
ordered his staff to contact the Air Force Base at Luke Air Force Base and to call the Department of Public Safety and the general in charge of the Arizona Guard to find out what it was. Damn. Quote, but the Air Force totally blanked us. They just said, we have no comment. That was it. End quote. Damn, not even, uh, it's nothing or it's air balloons or it's like yes. weather balloons or whatever the fuck. It's, yes. we have no comment. Yes. Basically, all you're doing is pointing out that there's something you can't talk about. There's something there that you can't talk about because otherwise you would just be like, I mean, you're seeing things. It's fucking yeah. ball lightning. It's like. I mean, that's like when you go to a, when you're asked to testify and you're like, I'd like to invoke my Fifth Amendment right for, because yes. I might incriminate myself. And it's like, yeah, because you, you, you did it. Because you did it. You did it, obviously. Obviously. We know what incriminating means. Like, you don't thanks. invoke the Fifth if you haven't done anything. Yeah. You say, I'm innocent. Why are you accusing me of these things? I'm innocent. Yeah. yeah. Not, I don't want to talk about it because it really makes me look bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a cute look for me. Oh, man. So the most infuriating thing is that even though the governor fucking saw this and fucking admitted he saw it, he had a press conference the next day. It wasn't a thing. Blah, 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 blah. Not only that, they turned it into a big fucking joke where literally he was like, we found the, like, we found out what caused it. We figured it out. And then like brought out a guy dressed like an alien to a press, to a government press conference as like a ha ha funny. Whereas like literally thousands of people who saw this were like, Okay, but Kay, can you actually answer us and like tell us what the fuck that was? Because that was the weirdest thing I've literally yeah. ever seen in my life. And you're and basically also, telling me you. I'm hallucinating. Yes. Yeah. So Governor Symington, he says he's seen it. Then he has this fake fucking bullshit press conference. Bill Clinton, according to all the reports about the night of the Phoenix lights, just disappeared, kind of. He had been staying at golf champion Greg Norman's house when reporters were told that Clinton suffered a bad injury to his knee mm. and had to be laid up for the entire time this is going on and like literally never makes a comment about it or anything. We just like don't acknowledge it. Sus as fuck. Sus as fuck. Somebody throughout the thing, I don't even remember where I read this at this point because my brain is just like so filled with these things is that like Secret Service was like rushing him away because they were like the Phoenix lights and then they, he tripped and fell and that's how he got his knee hurt. That's hysterical. Which is kind of hysterical. I'm sorry I'm laughing. Like if that's actually the case, that's like, it's kind of funny to yeah. picture that. And again, like Air Force pilots caught sight of these lights. They have like video of these lights. And again, the video just disappeared from the plane, taken to Washington, never seen again. Should be noted that Clinton pardoned Governor Symington in 2001, which was years after all of this happened, because mm -hmm. he did some white collar crime. I don't even remember what it is now. Pardon, but of course. Yeah. Yes. Again, the theory was that he was pardoned basically as a thank you for his fake for keeping news conference rest. for then like going back on what he said and being like, oh, no, you guys are like silly. It's aliens. Like, don't oh. worry about this. But then it was like the Clintons. Being I got like, you. Thanks for that. We appreciate it because that was crazy. And we really couldn't explain anything mm. about what happened. It also should be noted that although he's obviously the governor of Arizona, his family, as you can imagine, is also a political family. So his cousin was former secretary of the Air Force during the immediate period after the crash of Roswell and was also the U.S. senator from Missouri and the candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination against JFK in 1960. Mm. And... Stuart Symington, his cousin, would have been the specific individual in office as the Roswell cover-up was implemented, if that happened, if you believe that there was a Roswell cover-up. 
So this this is assuming basically that his cousin had all of this information that he right. may have may or may not have been privy to at some point. Mm. Again, Symington has admitted on camera that he saw the craft that was in the sky that caused the Phoenix Lights. Mm. For the record, period. Bottom line. In 2002, former Clinton White House Chief of Staff John Podesta, then having left the White House, came out in favor of the disclosure of all government files on UFOs and supported Leslie Keene's Coalition for Freedom of Information lawsuit regarding the release of NASA's Kecksburg files. They worked together, prevailed in their lawsuit, and managed to get records from NASA, but the records they got, super redacted, didn't reveal anything. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton told supporters and a newspaper reporter in New Hampshire that she would release our country's UFO files as long as such a release would not compromise national security. In March 2016, Podesto confirmed that Hillary Clinton would do just what she said if she was elected. Release UFO files. Mm -hmm, Right. During the later years of Bill Clinton's tenure in office, Hillary actually worked with Lawrence Rockefeller to draft an argument for the release of UFO info that she intended to present to her husband, partly to forestall Rockefeller's threat to reveal information he had at his disposal about UFOs. Mm. She apparently went so far as to team up with him to put pressure on the president, her husband, to resist the pushback from now what is being called the deep government or shadow government and release the UFO files once and for all, regardless of what may be in them that does not compromise our national security. Mm. However, then apparently she and her husband Bill, president at the time, had a meeting at Rockefeller's ranch where he, I guess, told them a bunch of shit that they didn't know about UFOs. And then they flip-flopped according to conspiracy theorists on this. Interesting. John Podesta, again, who was Clinton's former chief of staff, said, quote, The American people can handle the truth about UFOs. The U.S. government could do a much better job in answering the quite legitimate questions that people have about what's going on with unidentified aerial phenomenon, end quote. So, for our last few presidents, we don't really have any, like, crazy stories. We really just have, like, their little snarky little comments they've made on, mm-hmm. like, talk shows, Jimmy Kimmel and shit, whatever the yeah. late night shows they have to do. So when George W. Bush was asked whether the government would ever come clean about what it knows about UFOs, Bush jerked his thumb at Cheney and told them that if there was any information about UFOs floating around, Cheney would be the man to talk to about mm. it. Cheney said, quote, if I had been briefed on it, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it, end quote. Cheney was a sneaky motherfucker, though. Oh my god, sneakiest, yeah. Yeah. In response to a question posed to him in Arkansas, George Bush said in 2000 that it would be Cheney's, quote, first White House job to get the answer to the UFO mystery, end quote. Sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. Also, as a president, that honestly shouldn't be your first priority. You should be working on, like, a lot of other, like, like public, happening, public like, programs, Earth, like, actual shit. In the country? I get it. Not in outer space? Yeah. After the Bush statement about his running mate, Cheney showed up in Roswell, New Mexico, a few months later, almost as if he was teasing the press about a UFO disclosure. Apparently, six days before he arrived, there were a bunch of cattle mutilations, <gasps> too, which, like... Shit. were reported all over the place and it was like they thought like very serendipitous like a little over for sure yeah but again that's all they said on the matter when president obama was talking to jimmy kimmel on his late night show and jimmy asked him about ufos president obama famously said quote they asked me not to talk about it 
end quote. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. So great. However, he then went on to say, quote, the truth is that when I came into office, I asked, right? I was like, all right, is there the lab somewhere where we're keeping the alien specimens and spaceship? And you know, they did a little bit of research and the answer was no. Bullshit. What is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there are, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we do not know exactly what they are. Mm. We can't explain how they moved, their trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. And so, you know, I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is, end quote. Which, yes, I feel like people get the whole, like, yeah, you yeah. say UFO and people think you mean extraterrestrial. And yeah, because like, it means unidentified flying object. Flying object. I guess apparently the government likes the term unidentified aerial phenomenon if, yes, now. Yes, yes, like, yes. Like, that's yes. their new, they've rebranded it. Mm-hmm. They're, like, trying something new. To try and be, like... We just don't know what it is. It's, I don't. We're not saying it's yes. an alien because now UFOs become synonymous of alien with aliens. Yes, yeah. I do. I understand why they're doing it because it does just have such a bad connotation too. Of like, you can't yeah. say UFO without immediately like I feel aliens. like somebody rolling your eyes and being like, oh, oh my god, okay, this you're yeah. ridiculous. But unidentified aerial phenomenon is a thing, and as we. I think we discussed on here, like they're releasing yeah. more and more footage like, every day, literally of that daily, shit. like yeah. daily, yes. In 2020, wasn't there a whole thing on 2020? Yeah. That is like... Uh, apparently, the one of the guys from Blink-182. Yeah. That's he's like... Part, yeah. That's... He kind of like lost his marbles and got kicked out of the band because that like kind of took over his life. Yeah. Yeah. And he like, went hard. Travis? I think. I think you are correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence and Security of Defense will be required to provide the Intelligence and the Armed Services Committees of Congress with an unclassified report on the unidentified aerial phenomenon. Mm. And this, I don't know if you guys know, was actually tucked into that massive $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill and signed into law late (gasps) last year. So literally them having to disclose all this uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon shit literally got like slipped into that coronavirus bill. That's how they get you. They slip in the other shit. Yep. The report must contain detailed analysis of UFO data and intelligence collected by the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Tax Force, and the FBI, according to the Senate Intelligence Committee's directive. It should also describe in detail an interagency process for ensuring timely data collection and centralized analysis of all unidentified aerial phenomena reporting for the federal government and designate an official response for that process. Former intelligence director John Radcliffe said in a recent interview, quote, frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Yeah. End quote. We know. We know. It's crazy. (laughs) So according to Scientific American, which this article came out on June 8th, although the task force unclassified assessment is not expected until June 25th, which we're a little after that, the New York Times provided a cursory preview of its contents in an article on June 3rd. Citing anonymous senior officials familiar with the report's contents, the story said that the assessment has come up short of explaining what UAP are and that it provides no evidence to link them with any punitive alien visitation, despite reviewing more than 120 incidents from the past 20 years, which, like, you kind of knew that was going to happen. The report's firmest conclusion, it seems, is that the majority of UAP happenings and their surprising maneuvers are not caused by any U.S. advanced technology programs. 
However, they don't offer an explanation for what they are. The final report includes a, quote, classified annex of information that's deemed unsuitable for public release. Fuck you. Fuck you. According to BBC.com, on June 23rd, 2021, the UAP Task Force Unclassified Report found, quote, no clear indications that there is any non-terrestrial explanation, end quote, for the aircrafts. But it also did not rule it out. Possible explanations included common aerial objects like birds, drones, atmospheric phenomenon such as ice crystals, new developments by U.S. government or private entities, and technologies deployed by foreign adversaries. Mm. Although no earth-shattering revelations emerge, the existence of a government report on a much ridiculed issue shows how UFOs have come out of the realm of purely science fiction pop culture and into the world of national security. One of the most interesting articles I did stumble across was from May 17th of this year, and according to Navy pilot Ryan Graves, he gave an interview to 60 Minutes where... (laughs) He's recording, he's like recounting his experience with UAPs. So 60 Minutes is like, okay, so like, what's the the deal? Yeah. Yeah. He said, quote, every day, (gasps) every day for at least a couple of years, Mm. end quote. And he's like casual about this because like, it's no big deal for him anymore. So he's like super chill. He's almost like bored seeming like when he tells them. And the 60 Minutes correspondent, Bill Whitaker, who cuts in, he's like, wait, like every day for a couple of years? And he's like, yeah. yeah. Graves has told the story before, but it's only now that it's like become such a big deal yeah. and they're actually like able to talk about this shit without being fucking ridiculed. Yeah. Nonstop. So that's your not brief at all overview <laughs> of the history of UFOs and the White House. Look out for the declassified information that's yeah. hopefully coming our way at some point in the future. Keep your eyes on the skies, baby. Eyes on the skies. That was crazy. Thank you. Everybody go watch Independence Day. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Fuck. Best, like, mm, it's between him and Harrison Ford and Air Force One. But Bill Pullman as president in Independence Day is bomb.com. Is amazing. Is amazing. I was in an off-Broadway show, uh, Drunk Shakespeare, for a considerable amount of time. And uh, I'm assuming it's still running. Uh, We did Macbeth, but it was a comedy, uh, obviously, because someone got drunk in the middle of it and did the show. And one of the last speeches that was done, uh, instead of Malcolm's speech, was the Independence Day speech. That's hysterical. (laughs) pretty great. I love that so much. pretty amazing. Uh, That was amazing. That was a lot of information. But hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Oh, presidents, presidents, aliens. They're not telling it. us everything. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And the and And they never will. But yes, and but the thing that's annoying about it, as we always say on the show, lie better is Don't that Don't say no comment and like that's above your pay grade. Don't say shit like that if there's nothing to tell me. Okay, thanks. Exactly. Just be like this just is this like a legal thing? That they can't say, I don't, I don't. I, no, there's nothing? Because then someone can sue them and be like, excuse me, sir, in this press conference, you said this? The aliens made they, them sign an NDA. Right. They come out and be like, uh, hi, yeah, you signed right here, actually. Okay, thanks. You weren't supposed to talk about that. Cool. Yeah, that's that's the thing that is the most whack to me, is that they won't say there isn't anything. They'll no. say no comment. No. Or you don't need to know that. It's a need-to-know basis. 
But like, I, yeah, I need to know. Here's the thing. I need to know for my own curiosity. Sure. You don't know what I need. No, but like for the president, it's like, hi, um, I'm the most powerful person on the planet. I have the nuclear codes. I just want you to tell me a just thing. Just like let yeah. a bitch know. Just wink at me. You don't even have to say, you don't even have to say words. Just if I say. Just if I say our aliens real and you at that moment took out your chapstick and like <laughs> put it on your lips. Then we know what Good. the fuck's happening. I know what's happening. So like, this isn't even like on the covered. record. No. That like, you said a thing. You, I just you got the chapstick sign. We're good. Exactly. Girl, that's all I want. Just give me the chapstick. <laughs> Talk. Well, that's amazing though. Thank you. I know you're not super big. You're not as no, obsessed not, with the UFOs as I am. So I appreciate you sticking with me. No, I was that, super here for was, it like, though. A million presidents worth of... UFO I'm, I'm really into history though so, okay, so going through like the history of every president being like bt dubs ufos are real and they do hey yeah um so go watch the documentary independence day and then go watch independence day because <laughs> that's amazing all right you ready i'm fucking ready it's been i feel like i didn't have any true crime in my life this week i oh. take that back i fucking watched the new episode of i'll be gone in the dark oh fuck i haven't seen it there is the new, there's like is the follow-up episode. Is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. I would say yes. Cool. There's moments that are like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. So not dissimilar to Terry Jendusa Nikolai, that fucking queen. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is one of those that I saw like 12 years ago in one of those like 15 hour benders of watching like people murder each other. And that it has never left you. It has never left. I've <gasps> never seen it since. And it has fucked me up for the rest of my life. I am here for it. You could not have given me a better intro to a true crime story, Monique. I'm so fucking excited right now. Buckle the fuck up because this one, this one fuck, has fucked me out for like 12 years, truly. Oh my God. All right, I'll call you in 12 years, girl. <laughs> I feel like Monique. I still think about it to this day. I mean, yeah. So this is the story of Julie and James Cowan. Okay. Sources. 2020 on ID. Waltham.wickedlocal.com. Get it, Massachusetts. Hey, all right. Nice. <laughs> Boston.com, SouthCoastToday.com, ABCNews.com, and Patch.com. Julie Oldag and James Cowan were college sweethearts who met while attending William Jewell College in Missouri. They dated for a few years before marrying in 1996 and settled in Kansas City, Missouri. Julie was a friendly, wholesome woman from Plattsburgh, Missouri. She was a registered nurse who worked for Cerner, a software company that specialized in reducing waste and error in the healthcare industry, which is rad as fuck. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Amazing. I'm sure there's so much waste, too. I can't even know. <sighs> fuck. All that biohazard shit. You have to oh, my yeah. God. Exactly. Oh my God. James's life also began in Missouri, where he grew up in a political family. He got his first job at a radio station when he was 13 years old. Damn! Right? Get it. And while he never graduated from college, he ended up getting a job in radio, eventually becoming a popular local personality known as JP. James was an ambitious up-and-comer with a sense of style. Julie's parents, Nancy and Jack Oldag, were impressed with James, too. Nancy said, quote, I thought he was a very nice, intelligent, witty, fine young fellow. Oh no! This is what that's what they think till they're not any of those things <laughs> till they're awful trash humans. It never starts with "I thought they were a cunt." 
And he I was, was real, right. He was a real asshole straight from the start, and I should have known better. Yeah. So this is kind of boilerplate. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Buckle up, kids. Jack, Julie's dad, said, quote, James had extremely good people skills. I was just amazed, you know, that men 19, 20 years old could be as comfortable talking to strangers as he was, end quote. Which, no. I Are you impressed with that? I, no. I wasn't. I was because I was painfully shy. So actually, no, like, same. that was, I was like, I cannot believe you're just, like, talking to a stranger right now. Like, I would be having to, like, get out of this conversation, make excuses, and just, like, no. Same. I'm very painfully shy, but necessity is the mother of invention. And if I have to do it, then I know how to turn that shit on. I wasn't impressed by this. Also, Nancy and Jack (laughs) appear to be like just good people from Missouri. From Missouri. Missouri. I don't know if they actually pronounce it that way, but they do in Waiting for Guffman. Blaine, Missouri, which is an incredible movie. Now here's where it gets super boilerplate. To everyone who knew them, they seem to be a perfect match. On oh, the frame breaks and the picture rips and yep. Mm. They complimented each other well, rarely fought, and were by all accounts a happy couple who adored each other. Oh. Well, and don't believe that. Okay. No, definitely not. <laughs> That's so rarely the case. Like, come on. Literally. And given that it was the early 2000s, Homegirl loved an email, so Julie regularly communicated with her friends and family via electronic correspondence. In an email to a friend, Julie wrote, quote, I wish sometimes I could clone my husband for some of my girlfriends that are in bad relationships. He is the light of my life, end quote. I know. I hate that. I hate when it's like, it's so obviously. He's not, yeah. And then you're like, just like, kidding. Oh, no, he's just he's just, just as terrible as the terrible ones. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into it. And by all accounts, James was a great guy. He was happy and engaging and was always the first to buy a round of drinks at a bar or treat a whole table to dinner. He was also great as a radio host. James's colleague, Ellen Shank, noted that James was, quote, the one you expected to watch and end up at the networks, end quote. Okay. So he's like good at what he does. So yeah. And appearances were very important to James. And it was something he was very meticulous about. To the point that James would wear a suit and tie to school when he was in seventh grade. Which, while I was like, that's kind of cute. If I was in seventh grade, I'd be like, who's the fucking narc? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Also, right if that was my kid, I'd be like, seriously, dude, just put a t-shirt on. Just be like I don't want to have to drive the kid in the fucking suit to school. Like, yeah. I'll drop you off around the corner, but, like, I don't want to be seen with you because you're actually Literally. ruining my reputation. Thanks. Just put on, like, a Pearl Jam t-shirt or a Lil Nas X t-shirt Thank or something. Thank you. A yes. Britney shirt. I literally don't give a fuck. A suit and tie for seventh grade. That's a lot. Like, do you have a briefcase, too? Like an attache case? Oh, my Maybe. God. Um, pocket watch? What is this kid rolling with? No, if he had a pocket watch, I think that was ball as fuck. That's pretty Like, cool. that's ball as fuck. But it's a lot of look, as Michael Kors It is. Says. That's a, yeah, that's a choice at a very young age. Boom. Ellen also observed that he liked the finer things in life. She said, quote, JP liked the trappings of success. I mean, he had the Rolex and the three-piece suit, which I was like, is that As the kids do? No, no, no. Like, as an adult. I'm like, is this? I was like, wait, the kid had a Rolex? Like, that kid would have gotten beat the No, this is his coworker at the radio station being like, he had a three-piece suit. I'm like, is that a lot? Am I super bougie for thinking that's not a lot? I mean, it's no tux, but. 
No, as imagine opposed, him walking as to a two-piece suit. It's you know one step up. Imagine him walking in with a cummerbund and shit to like the fucking radio <laughs> station every day. <laughs> I, I'd be like, I'd be like, this guy here's a party. He's not I here mean, to fucking. He's yeah. fucking here for it. And she went on to say, "I saw him driving a Jaguar." And oh, quote. all right. And James's spending habits became an issue in the marriage. He got a different car every two years. and Dude. Dude. And Julie didn't necessarily think that that was necessary for him to drive these fancy, expensive cars. But he looked at it as a status symbol, and Julie didn't. In an email to a friend, Julie wrote, quote, Money is always an issue. He married Miss Farm Girl, who came from working her ass off for very little. James works hard, but he dreams hard, end quote. James branched out from the radio job to a job in marketing at a company called The Learning Exchange. James was incredibly ambitious, and those who knew him seemed to think he could accomplish anything. So it wasn't much of a surprise when, in 2003, despite not graduating from college, he announced to friends and family that he had been accepted into Harvard Business School on an academic scholarship. Damn, okay. Co-worker Ellen commented, quote, J.P., that guy knew how to network, and if anybody could move up and move from broadcasting to Harvard, he's the one who could probably do it. End quote. So the thing is, you get into Harvard, that means you got to move to Massachusetts. Yeah. And Julie had strong Midwestern roots, so moving to Massachusetts meant leaving her close friends and family behind. But Julie felt that this was an opportunity the couple couldn't pass up. While Julie's father, Jack, was impressed that his son-in-law was Harvard-bound, Julie's mother, Nancy, admitted to initially being less than thrilled about the situation. Nancy said, quote, He was taking Julie away from us. I was like, why can't you just get a degree from a college around here? Even though I didn't want them to go, I was still proud. End quote. Shortly before they moved, Julie's cat suddenly died of a mysterious kidney ailment. In the winter of 2003, James and Julie relocated to Waltham, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, where they rented a house on School Street. Each worked out deals to work remotely for their employers, with Julie continuing with Cerner and James working as a marketing consultant for an educational consulting firm, The Learning Exchange. And everything was going great for the couple. But then, a few months after the move, Julie woke up in the middle of the night and her motor skills were just like all the fuck out of whack. Oh, that's she, so terrifying. I no, can't even fucking no, imagine. No, 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 Like not being able to control your body is such a scary, yeah, yeah scary feeling. And she had slurred speech. <gasps> oh my God, no. And granted, she's a registered nurse. Yeah, so, so she's like, like having a stroke. Like, something is, is happening. Yeah, fuck. She woke James up and told him that she needed to go to the hospital and James took her to the emergency room at Newton Wellesley Hospital. By the time she arrived at the ER, she was so incapacitated that she couldn't even sign the consent form. What? Like, fuck. Holy shit. After a three-day stay at the hospital, Julie's condition was improving, and after a fuck ton of tests, Julie was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, and the doctors informed her that at some point in the future, she would need to go on dialysis. Oh, fuck. And she's 31 at this that's point. So, yeah, that's so young for that. Jesus. Exactly. Doctors also told her that she would have a high-risk pregnancy if she were to conceive. It was major medical news for the couple, but even the disturbing diagnosis of kidney disease wasn't enough to account for the severity and sudden onset 
of Julie's symptoms. But because her condition had improved considerably, she was released from the hospital. And for several months, Julie continued to experience these attacks like on and off. Okay. But she seemed to rebound when she visited her parents in Missouri. Everyone believed the fresh air on her parents' farm did her some good. Okay, people. Like, fresh air isn't actually, like, it's great. Other than, like, tuberculosis, it's not a thing. Like, it's not going to fix your fucking lack of motor skills. Like, maybe the fact that you were away from this fucking piece of shit. Hmm. 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 How curious. Possibly. However, when Julie returned to Waltham, her ailments returned as well. Appearing concerned, James took Julie to the hospital on a few occasions. Julie's long-standing kidney disease did not seem to be the source of her pain. Seeking clearer answers, Julie sought the advice of her doctor, her mother, and nursing friends, but no one could explain the severe pain. James encouraged his wife to get more rest and drink Gatorade to restore her electrolytes. In an email to a friend, Julie wrote, quote, I'm still in the crisis shock stage. They have not totally ruled out cancer, so I pray that isn't what's going on. I'm sure my illness is scaring James more than he'll let on. I hate seeing the worry on his face. All I can do is wait and think positively. Julie, end quote. In another email, she wrote, quote, I had garbled speech and wasn't able to move my legs and arms and hands. At least I had my MRI done last night, so hopefully we'll know more in a week what's going on, end quote. That is fucking terrifying. Can you imagine? Terrifying. No. No. This is your fucking worst nightmare you didn't know you had. One week later, during Labor Day weekend, Julie woke up with frightening symptoms that were even more serious, and James drove Julie back to the emergency room as she displayed symptoms of vomiting, diarrhea, and dizziness. Once again, her motor skills were severely impaired, and by the time she saw a doctor, Julie couldn't walk or talk. Holy fuck sticks. Yeah. Oh, and she's having to rely on this fucking piece of shit to, like, get her to the hospital and shit. Okay. For sure. Okay. James called his in-laws to let them know what was going on. Nancy later recalled that James didn't seem alarmed on the call. Julie's health rapidly declined, and on September 4th, 2004... She slipped into a coma. <gasps> fuck. Her doctors, still stumped by what the fuck was going on, began to suspect a more sinister explanation. <gasps> there you go. And they tested her blood for ethylene glycol, a toxin commonly found in antifreeze. Bam. Drink which... the Gatorade. We said it tastes like Gatorade, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. I got too excited. I no. I got on that one. No, it's fine. But yeah, that's totally what's happening. Which, when ingested in high doses, can cause the symptoms Julie Cowan was suffering from. And sure enough, the tests came back positive. Fuck. When Jack and Nancy asked James how he thought she got the antifreeze in her system, James told them, quote, She may have picked up a bottle of soda or drink on the street that someone had put antifreeze in and drank it. End quote. No one has ever... Ever, ever picked up a drink, an open like a drink random drink they found on the street. What are you actually talking about? I could literally be dying of thirst and I would still be like, uh. Who knows what the fuck is in there? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Like, best case scenario, piss or hepatitis. Thank you. I was going to say, yes, it's most likely Best pee. case. Yeah. Ugh, absolutely not. 
By the time the test results came back positive, Julie's family had arrived at the hospital, but by then it was clear that Julie was not going to make it. (gasps) No! Faced with their daughter's imminent death and left with a variety of unanswered questions, the old ags made the decision to secretly take a trip to the Waltham Police Department and report both the poisoning and their suspicions that their son-in-law, James, may be to blame. Hell yes. These people know what the fuck time it yes. is. Yes. And like, they're like, we're going to like sneak out of the hospital to go to the um, police station report. Like you go. I'm going to get some like Burger King. Yeah. Do you want anything? <laughs> Do you want anything? Cool. Cool, cool. 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 Detective John Bailey remembered Julie's father saying, quote, I don't understand how this can happen. James and Julie were the only ones in the house that day. And I know she didn't do it. So that only leaves one person, end quote. Yeah. On September 8th, 2004, Julie was taken off of life support and passed away from what was later ruled as, quote, acute and chronic ethylene glycol poisoning, end quote. Fuck. And an autopsy later showed that Julie Cowan ingested a lethal dose of ethylene glycol about eight to ten hours before her husband brought her into the emergency room of Newton Wellesley Hospital on September 4th, 2004. She was 31 years old. Fuck. Police searched the couple's apartment in Waltham and did not find any antifreeze or any other sources of ethylene glycol. After Julie's funeral, a friend of James's later recounted how the widower asked him how long he had to wear his wedding ring. Oh, dude. Dude, we're literally like... Google it. Don't ask a friend. Like, for sure. seriously, that's in poor taste. It's tack as fuck. Ugh, so tack. You're right. Ugh. And said he planned to start dating again in a few months. Like, I'm sure. Like, the body's fucking warm, yeah, honey. I'm sure. You're fucking... I'm surprised you're not trying to bang girls at the funeral. Literally. That's the level of trash you are. Yeah. I. Oh, my God. My wife died. Like, will you bang me? <laughs> I'm oh. so sad. Suck my dick, please. Thanks. Exactly. Yeah. No. Go Ugh. fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. He also allegedly told a friend he planned to use the $250,000 in insurance money. Shut your mouth, dude. Just shut shut the fuck fuck up. up. Just don't fucking say anything. Just say nothing. Like, seriously. Oh, my God. So he planned to use the $250,000 in insurance money from his wife's death to buy a BMW convertible, build a house, and start a foundation in her name. Okay. It's not that much money. I don't think you understand how money works, sir. No, you don't. Clearly. This shit reminds me of the scene in Goodfellas where they they have the, the Lufthansa heist. Have you seen Goodfellas? Yeah, it's yeah. been fucking years since I've seen it, but I've definitely It's top five that. material. It's fantastic. So the Lufthansa heist happens, which is like the biggest heist yes. of like uh, an airplane ever. And they're like, all right, be cool. Don't buy shit. That like brings attention to yourself. Yep. And then it's like the Christmas party, like weeks after and like the wife rolls like in with a fucking fur coat and, and they have a, yeah. a Cadillac uh, and it's like what, what the fuck is wrong with you and he's like no it's cool it's in my mother's name it's like no literally you're gonna get us all pinched and basically what happened like is they ended up killing everybody because like these motherfuckers don't know any sense and yep. don't know how to do what the fuck they're told yep shut the fuck up shut the fuck up seriously dude just I keep mean, your fucking mouth shut cry 
Cry and keep your mouth shut. Your wife just died. I mean, luckily for us, these people are really bad at all of this. Thank God, right? Because otherwise people would be getting away with murder all the time. All the time. Yeah. But luckily they're fucking dumb as fuck. And they do stupid shit like this, like at the funeral, be like, so how much longer do I have to like wear this wedding ring? Because I want to fuck everyone. Yeah. And like, here's what I'm going to do with the money I got from her death. Yeah. <laughs> Things. I'm going to buy a BMW. Money. Um, trash. And start a foundation. <laughs> Whatever. Get the fuck out of here. And just weeks after Julie's tragic death, Waltham police received a call from the Cowan's landlord in Waltham. James had apparently fled town and left thousands of dollars worth of property behind. So Detective John Bailey paid a visit to the home. Detective Bailey said, quote, he had abandoned everything. Big screen TV, brand what? new furniture. It's bizarre. And this is a guy who quote. cares about that shit. So Exactly. Yeah. To move, but leave everything, everything in the apartment? Yeah. Well, that's not the only shit he left behind. Among the items he left behind were photographs of the couple, Julie's wedding dress, and their wedding rings. I mean, he's a trash person. Yeah. He's a trash person. And look, everyone grieves differently, of course, but yeah. this is sus as fuck behavior for a supposedly grieving widower. Yeah. At minimum, it just doesn't look good. Exactly. At minimum. Yes, yes. And Even look, if it's only up and up, like... You need to know how it looks. Okay. And here's, if I didn't have a normal, like, grief response, I would just, like, maybe lock myself in my apartment for a few weeks where, like, people couldn't see me and they could, like, assume I was crying my heart out where, meanwhile, I'm just, like, watching murder documentaries and, like, ordering takeout and, like, eating Or, like, why don't you just take this shit and, like, give it to Goodwill or put it in a box and never look at it? Like, be like, it was just too hard for me. I Exactly. And people were like, oh, my God. Sobbing, yeah. Oh, my God. Poor you. What you've been through. Yeah. No, this guy's fucking terrible at this. But where the fuck you go? I'm I'm so intrigued now. Okay. So that's a great question. He pieced the fuck out. He pieced the fuck out and he headed back to his hometown of Jefferson City, Missouri, where he had gotten a new job as a radio talk show host for a station KLIK. Around town, he alternated between telling his new friends and colleagues that his wife was either a victim of a, quote, tragic illness, end quote, or that she had died by suicide. Literally, pick a fucking story and stick to it. What? You can't even say the right story twice. You're so fucking bad at this. I like want to flip this table. I can't even fucking handle it. Also, the the suicide thing is really insulting when you've murdered somebody. I'm sorry. Ten thousand percent. Allegedly murdered at this point, but like we know what the fuck. Let's be fucking real. Yeah, we've seen our datelines. Oh, that's so insulting. I don't like that. I would haunt the fuck out of someone. Yes. You can say I died in literally, you could say I died as a stupid way and fucking tripped and fell on a fucking gardening yeah. shears or something. Like, I don't give a fuck. You could also don't. be like, it's too tender. I don't want to talk about it. Yes. Don't lie and say I killed myself when you literally killed me, you fucking lying fuck you. This is where I bring up the saying, the Spanish saying my dad says on a daily basis. He You're who explains it. <laughs> But another winner is he who explains himself complicates himself. Facts. Shut the fuck up. Always. Facts. But I'm glad he didn't because he's terrible at this and he's giving himself away. Thank God. Either way, those around him at the time remarked that James seemed ready to start a new life and that he had started dating someone new and seemed very interested in settling down and having kids. But close family and friends like Layla and Ted Wilmore which Layla was Julie's best friend who said that Julie was always like, how do we marry so well? And we're so lucky and blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Layla and her husband, Ted Wilmore, knew what the fuck was up, that Julie had died of ethanol glycol poisoning. 
And the police were asking a lot of questions about James as he was their prime suspect. Because fucking obviously, like, First of all, whether he did it or not, it's, it's always going to be. Yeah. One, it's usually the husband. But regardless, yeah. it's just protocol that it's someone you know. Yes. It's the person closest to yes. you. Yes. Because so we're, we're trash look, people. Yeah. And that's how that so, is. So, yeah. You're married. You live in the same house together. We're going to look at you. Thanks. You have opportunity. That's step at least. one. Yeah. Motive means an opportunity. You got one of those by being the husband. Automatically. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. During the height of the investigation, they had James over for dinner and asked him if he was worried about how things looked. He's like, hey, like, none of this is a cute look. Like, are you kind of stressed? Like, yeah. How, whatever. And Ted remembered James saying, quote, you know, guys, I don't think I would be indicted for this. <gasps> and if I were indicted, I wouldn't be convicted. And it would be a circumstantial case. Okay. End quote. You're throwing a lot of words out there Whoa. that you should not be, that make you look extra fucking guilty. Like, Whoa. you should not be throwing out legal terms right now at all, unless it's innocent and that's it. And just be like, I don't, yeah. Shut the, the fuck, fuck up. up. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Both Layla and Ted were struck by the fact that during that conversation, their friend never once professed his innocence. Instead, just detailing why he wouldn't get caught for his wife's death. Oh my god. Which, can you imagine being that couple? At this dinner, like, I cooked this nice meal and now I have to literally, like, eat it across from the person who murdered my friend? No. I didn't include this in here, but Layla was saying, like, initially they were totally on his side. They were like... Really? Yeah, initially they were like, I'm afraid that, like, this dude's being railroaded and he's going to go down for something he He didn't didn't do do. just because he's the husband. Yeah. And then this conversation happened. I was like, wait, wait, wait. What the actual fuck? It killed me? Like, so he did it. Yeah. And we need to be making sure they catch him for this. Because and like, this is ridiculous. Cool, Thanks. cool, cool. Um, how about you take your peach cobbler to go? Thanks. I don't want you in my house anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. So while the police were investigating James Cowan, he had returned to his native Missouri, as I said, where he had began covering the Capitol for KLIK and hosting the talk show Party Line. He was known around the state capitol as an affable and hardworking reporter. His talk show became so popular that it was expanded into a twice-daily event, covering two hours each weekday morning and afternoon. Before long, he had a new girlfriend whose name was also Julie. No. And whom he affectionately called Julie Julie too. (gasps) Can you handle this? I cannot. I literally cannot. I'm silent because my face is in my hands right now and I can't. And this is so much for me. I'm the little engine that literally can't even about this fucking story. No. For sure. This is the Ron Swanson Tammy too. I can't. For sure. It's worse, but so much worse. It's so much worse. And he had a blog where he used to like write about fuck. party fuck you fuck exactly this guy he had a blog where he'd talk about like you know rubbing elbows with like politicians and reporters uh. and, and in his blog he wrote about julie too oh it God, julie i know i, really can't. I okay. know okay. and this poor girl i know Can you fucking oh, because no. he's probably like my whatever is the First more sympathetic like my wife thing herself. to get his dick yeah. sucked. Let's be fucking real. Yes. Whichever it's cancer, Step like one cancer or the or dying by suicide. Whatever he whatever he works, sussed out yeah. was more sympathetic, right? And she's just like, oh my god, this guy's been through so much. He's a widow. He's yeah. so good though. No, he's trash. So in his blog about her, he wrote it was a quote 
chance encounter in the throw pillow section of a store, end quote, that reunited him and his St. Louis friend, whom he'd met 16 years earlier at a county fair. He continued, quote, I was amazed to find how much we had grown together through our individual life experiences, even though we were apart for so long. And while no one knows what the future holds, I can only thank God, as the Irish blessing goes, for holding us both in the palm of his hand until we were able to meet again. End quote. As the resident Catholic, go fuck yourself and keep God's name out of your motherfucking right? mouth. You are trash. And we're going to get into it. While he was going on about his daily life, the Waltham Police Department had been uncovering a series of secrets about James and discovered that he had a secret life. Tell me everything. Authorities said James Cowan told a long string of lies to everyone he knew, including his wife. They were in contact with the old ags, who said they were beginning to believe their son-in-law very likely murdered their daughter. Uh, which can you yes. fucking imagine? Oh my but fucking like, no, god. Uh, and like knowing that they're not in jail. Yes, and, like, and they're, they're, out, they're out and, and dating just people. And, and yes. like, oh my god. In May 2005, a nurse who was friendly with Julie contacted police about a bizarre conversation that she had with James when Julie was gravely ill, where James told Julie's friend that she may have become disoriented and drank antifreeze from a Gatorade bottle that someone left in the trash, which, sure, Jan, what the fuck ever. What? Also, like, why did you put antifreeze in a Gatorade bottle? Yeah, it was like, oh no, she was just like on a walk and I guess got thirsty and saw a random Gatorade bottle She's and like, was like, so that's thirsty. for me, clearly. Okay, this was not in their home trash. Okay. No, this was like on the street. Literally would never happen. 10,000%. And there's a difference of like someone who has like severe like dementia or something is confused, doesn't know what's happening, but like, guys, no. stop it. What do you like? Literally, no. What are you talking about? Another friend of Julie's told police that James was constantly insisting that his wife drink Gatorade, even though she was not fond of the energy drink. These two statements, along with the circumstantial evidence the police had collected, were enough for the Middlesex Superior Court grand jury to indict James Cowan on Thursday, November 3rd, 2005. On November 7th, 2005, after more than a year of investigating, Waltham police finally felt they had enough evidence to make an arrest. They traveled to Jefferson City, Missouri, where James had been living with his widowed mother, Bessie, for 11 months. They tracked down the suspect to the radio station and arrested him during a commercial break <laughs> in his talk show <laughs> while on air at KLIK. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, they that were listening to it. Him. And then like as soon as he went on break, they like stormed Hi, the fucking... you're arrested, thanks. Yeah. And I, I want to say... I'm not positive of this, but I want to say that I read that he was basically like, okay, like I know what this, like arrest know what this is about. Yeah. yeah. Which, correct. Correct. You do, and that's how you should act. I can't even imagine being like the producer for the show and having me like, oh my God, all right. I, I have to, fucking, a, an hour and a half to fill. To fill, I have to like fucking like, either make an announcement or like put the best of on. Like, yeah. fuck me. Oh, great. Great. That's kind of how Larry King came to be. Oh, really? He was like a janitor. And I think the guy... Stop it. Yeah, yeah. And the guy who was running the... Who had this, the radio show like died mid-air. <gasps> and they were like, go on and like riff. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. That sounds made up, but that's ridiculous. It does sound that's, made up. Yeah. But I'm that's like... That's crazy if it's true. Like 90% sure that's Damn. true. Damn. Good for him. Fuck. Fuck yeah. I need to like look that up. I might have you cut that because I might be completely wrong, but I'm pretty that, sure it's not. That just sound... Look, sometimes sometimes <laughs> truth story is stranger than fiction. Yeah. For sure. So there you go. That really does not surprise me. The arrest was conducted with extreme secrecy because James was considered a flight risk. He was arraigned in Missouri, then extradited back to Massachusetts for trial, where he was indicted on first-degree murder charges and accused of slowly and methodically poisoning his wife to death behind the closed doors of a supposedly very happy home. James pleaded not guilty and was held without bail. In June 2008, almost four years after Julie's death, the trial finally began, Prosecutors argued that the man everyone thought was a great guy was, in fact, a devious con man. They revealed a whole series of elaborate lies that James had concocted. With no direct evidence, prosecutors attacked James's credibility, starting with his supposed acceptance letter to Harvard Business School. Oh, my God. Okay. No, I should, I should have realized, like, if he was lying about some shit, he was lying about, like, all this shit. Everything. I didn't know it was this level. It's this Girl, level. It's this me. fucking level. Fuck. What a piece of shit. Uh-huh. It had looked convincing to James's former boss. The letter was signed by Britt K. Dewey. Prosecutors called Dewey as a witness who, when confronted with the letter in court, confirmed that that was not her signature on the supposed <gasps> acceptance of letter. Of course not. Because guess the fuck what? The letter was a fake. Yeah. It's this tr- motherfucker wasn't getting fucking accepted to Harvard. Come on. No, because he had never graduated, graduated? from college. Yes, I was going to say. And he had enrolled in just one class at Harvard's continuing education program, which he promptly flunked out of. Dude, come on. Get your fucking life together. Seriously. And turns out the whole time James was supposedly going to Harvard and working, he was doing neither because he had been fired from the (gasps) learning exchange at the beginning of the summer after his boss had discovered this sack of shit had been stealing money from the company and had forged yet another signature on a contract to cover his tracks, not to mention that he had also lied about going to Harvard. Tammy Blossom, the CEO of the Learning Exchange, and James's former employee testified, quote, Cowan was terminated because we discovered a number of things at the Learning Exchange. He was caught stealing funds, basically taking money from the organization through a series of fake contracts. When we found out some of the contracts were illegitimate and they were not real, we started looking into his attendance at Harvard. I contacted the dean of Harvard Business School and was notified that a letter drafted to prove Cowan was attending classes there was fake. I soon fired him by phone. Oh. End quote. In addition, everything I'm going to say right now is not going to be remotely surprising. Uh, James was in dire financial straits. Yeah. He also appeared to have lied to his wife about their finances. The couple was not saving $1,500 per month, as James had told his wife. Instead, James Cowan had amassed at least $34,000 in debt. And his Jaguar had been repossessed. And at the time of Julie Cowan's death in September 2004, the couple had a negative balance in their (gasps) bank account. How do you do? Like, I've been down to fucking like $3 and shit before, but like... I mean, sometimes I'll get the thing of like, of 
Wells Fargo being like, hey, girl. Hey, like. But whatever. I move money. And, and then like, you're fine. a second later, like, I'm yeah, fine. I fucked but, up too. But like literally last 10 seconds. And then I'm like, oh, shit. I it's fucked like, up. oh, I like, forgot that oh, there's like an automatic payment. Yeah, fuck. No, it was in a negative by the time she died. Okay. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. If you are having financial difficulties, the solution is not to not talk with your spouse and to yeah. murder them. It's to talk to them, lay it all out, come up with a plan, make changes, downsize, and solve this problem like adults. Murder is not the solution to financial difficulties. A lot of men have not put that together. I didn't think that needed to be said, but I'm going to say it for the record. Yeah. Amy's a, a trailblazer right now. <laughs> Murder is not going to solve your financial difficulties. Basically. Okay, because then you're going to have to hire a lawyer to fight your murder charge that you have now gained from doing and, this. And you're probably dumb and terrible at it. So Clearly, you're go away. Most people are dumb and terrible at this as we've fucking established. Yeah. Faced with the prospect of telling his wife that everything was a lie and he was now accused with fraud and that he had been fired and unemployed for several months and that the whole Harvard Business School thing had been a lie, prosecutors allege that James Cowan was desperate that his house of cards was collapsing. Yes. They claimed money was the motive because the Cowans were broke and James hoped to cash in his wife's $250,000 life insurance policy by killing her. Prosecutors allege that James had begun poisoning his wife in May 2004, just a few months after the couple moved to Waltham from Kansas City, Missouri in January 2004. And you may be like, well, if he never got into Harvard, why the fuck did he make her move to Massachusetts? To keep up with the lie. It was to keep up with the lie and also to- Oh, I don't even have to ask this question. Yeah. He's a trash person. Of course he made her move to another state he didn't have a job or fucking- college career in no and basically to just like remove her from her family, family. And her network and everyone who like supported her what a trash person abuse. i literally can't Emotional oh my god abuse Ten thousand percent. yes so okay the thing is all this is circumstantial evidence and none of this is a good fucking look no it's not a good it's look it's not cute and, at all and the thing is the significant other is always the prime suspect yes but what was the evidence they really had they didn't really have, they didn't find the antifreeze. They didn't find the like right. Gatorade bottle with his fingerprints on it that had the antifreeze in it. Right. And everything that they're getting is like secondhand people being like, oh, the Gatorade thing. I'm remembering it now that I'm we're talking it about it, which is always sketchy to be fair. Right. Yeah. Of course. And witness testimony is always, you know, fallible. Yes. People are fallible. Yes. Well, after James's arrest. Girl. The police got a hold of James's laptop. <sighs> Oh, don't do anything. Else. And he was like, how do you kill? He Googled, how do you kill your wife with antifreeze? Get ready. <laughs> and didn't delete his history. Please get, tell me. Get ready. <laughs> I, oh my God. You already see it. You already I, see it. I can, okay. <laughs> Monique and I are sitting across from each other and I can't actually read what her thing says. But there's but I a can page of bullet points. there is a list of things, which I feel like is all of his Google searches. And I am like, giddy right now yep. like i'm like ready to bounce out of my seat at these google searches oh my god girl lamb on me yep so they got a hold of his laptop <laughs> which contained the most damning evidence against him i'm so excited in the months prior to julie's death oh god james used his laptop to search the following terms and also 
this is not all of them. Of course not. This is not all of them. I don't want to see all of my Google searches laid all back to back. We're all fucking same. No. This was me doing a pause on the dateline and reading (gasps) what was presented. That's my favorite thing to do. We're all same. That was like when I was reading the fucking will. (gasps) Yes. I leave all this to my niece who I'm currently fucking but NBD. (laughs) Whatever. No big deal. So this is what he searched. Oh, God. Is arsenic readily available? <laughs> home aid, because this dumb fuck doesn't realize there's two M's in homemade poisons. <laughs> oh my God. I thought you meant like homemade, like someone to help you aid you at your home. No. Yeah. It's like, like supposed to be homemade, homemade, but he doesn't know there's two M's in this. Fuck you. Dying. Anarchist cookbook. Oh. Ricin. Oh. So we watched Breaking Bad. Good for you. Awesome. Chloroform poisoning. Uh, great. Again, Classic. chloroform poisoning. <laughs> Buy arsenic. Purchase poisoning. Purchase poisoning. Purchase poisoning. Purchase arsenic. Buy arsenic. <laughs> Buy arsenic in Boston. <laughs> what is arsenic used for? Can you buy arsenic? Uh, CNN arsenic poisoning. Readily available poisons. Boy poisons friend, boy <laughs> poisons rival classmate, CNN boy poisons rival classmate, CNN student poisons rival classmate, CNN student charged with poisoning Baltimore, CNN student poisons Coke, CNN student charged with poisoning, Baltimore student poisoning, antifreeze human death, and ethylene glycol death human. I know I shouldn't be laughing and it's super fucked up, but I'm not going to lie, I laugh to the point of tears on that. Yeah. Because to steal a line from a movie that I'm not even going to say I rationally love. I think it's amazing. The Hangover. Oh, it's great. You're literally too stupid to insult. Yes. And this is not all of the searches. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's enough. I think we've got gotten the yeah. uh, level of this man's idiocy. Yep. And for those who don't remember, antifreeze contains ethylene glycol, which was the poison that killed you. Yeah. Julie's mother said, quote, when they showed the number of times he searched on how to poison someone, I think, how many times did he sit down in front of his computer and decide, I'm going to kill my wife? Yes. At any one of those times, he could have thought, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this is wrong. But he didn't. He just kept searching and searching, end quote. Right? Instead of thinking like, how to sell a BMW, how to downsize right. your home, how to get rid of credit Make, card debt. You know, get cash for gold, whatever the Whatever fuck. you have to do. How do I sell plasma? Like, none of that fucking no. entered his Google search at any point in time. He was like, let's go straight to killing the wife. Yeah. That's the But, like, out. poison's the way to go. Oh, obviously. for sure. Yeah. I don't get my hands dirty because, like, my suit. Yeah. I don't get my suit. Right. I have a three-piece suit. So exactly. Yeah, thanks. Prosecutors allege that James probably learned online how to mask the sweet taste of antifreeze by mixing it with Gatorade, hey. which is nearly the same color and just as sweet. I learned that from Monique, so that's there right. You go. Hey, girl. That's right. I am a plethora of facts no one wants. <laughs> I wanted it. <laughs> and that's why we're friends. <laughs> Toxicologist Alphonse Poklis, who specializes in poisoning cases, actually taste tested the toxic (gasps) mixture. He said, quote, I took drinks of it and I didn't swallow, but I took drinks. That's what they all say. I I could not resist. No, (laughs) I set that shit up and I didn't even fucking realize it. I'm obsessed with you. Swallowing. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, 
No, we're good. Uh, I took drinks of it and I didn't swallow, but I took drinks and I swatched it around in my mouth. Ethylene glycol just tasted like Gatorade. Damn. He continued, quote, antifreeze poisoning is an agonizing death. Oof, yeah. You start having difficulty breathing. There's a rapid pulse rate. You start vomiting. You become nauseous. You become terribly thirsty. And then the third stage, your kidneys start to shut down. And as your body is shutting down, you're experiencing this terrible, agonizing, horrible way of dying. And ultimately, you can become comatose. End quote. Jesus. According to the American Association of Poison Control Centers, in 2007, there were more than 5,700 intentional and unintentional cases of ethylene glycol antifreeze poisoning in the United States, resulting in 27 deaths. And that seems pretty high. Pretty fucking high. I'm not going to lie. I'm glad there are only 27 deaths and all that, because that means a lot of those people were not successful, but... Right. It's intentional and unintentional. Like, a lot of these are accidental Oh, accidental. Well. Okay. And... With so many known cases of antifreeze poisoning, you could be thinking, why hadn't the doctors caught this earlier with Julie? Yeah. And the thing is, they did. But she kept being like, no. No. There's there's no no way. No, there's no way. Nancy said, quote, the doctors kept asking her, are you sure you aren't getting some kind of poison? She kind of laughed about it and thought it was completely ridiculous. End quote. I just don't understand why the doctors weren't like... Basically, I know they're not going to say bitch, but like, bitch, we like see your toxicology report. Like this is in your system. You are getting this in your system somehow. I know you don't think you're being poisoned, but somehow you are unintentionally being poisoned and we need to figure out why. Well, the thing is they didn't run the toxicology report until she was already comatose. Fuck. You're right. Yeah. Because initially they're like, you had, you have severe kidney failure Failure. disease. Okay. Like her cat that mysteriously. Mysteriously. Also had the same thing and died right before they went to Massachusetts. What a dink. That was him testing his process. Yep. Like, and he said, like, clearly that fucking works. Yeah, cool. Into a cat, you're a fucking monster. Fuck you. Right? But medical examiner Farrell Sandler, who reviewed Julie Cowan's records, said it was clear she was exposed to the deadly chemical for weeks. Oh she my said, God. quote, acute and chronic ethylene glycol intoxication. Chronic means over a period of time, end quote. And this is the thing that like, there's lots of things that fuck me up about this story. But the thought that this man is like sleeping next to his wife, having yes. sex with her, being like, yes, sweetheart, whatever. All the while knowing he's poisoning, poisoning her. That is that a level. That duplicitousness is just it's like, mm, it's insidious. It's fucking, yeah. It's like, it yeah. fucks me up in a way I can't even mm-hmm. express. Because it's so fucking two-faced. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you think that you have the best husband in the world, and he's acting like nothing's wrong. And you're going to bed every night thinking, like, I love him so I'm much. So, he's so I great. nailed I'm it. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Thinking, like, oh, I want to clone him for my friends so they can see what a real, like, nice man is like. like when he's oh. fucking slowly poisoning you to death. Oh. Because he needs a fucking BMW. Ugh. Trash monster. Trash. James sat calmly during the trial as his attorney pointed out the weaknesses in the prosecution's case. The recorded trial shows the defense attorney saying, quote, there are no eyewitnesses here. There is no physical evidence. There is no confession or admission by James Cowan, end quote. Nancy said, quote, he kind of sat there with a halfway grin on his face, thinking that he was probably going to get away with this, end quote. 
defense attorneys pressured medical examiner Sandler to admit that poisoning is not always homicide. James's defense attorney said, quote, another possibility would be an accident, and a third possibility would be a suicide, end quote, to which she agreed. Yes, those are possibilities. But Sandler was convinced that Julie, who, if you remember, was a registered nurse yeah. with access to all kinds of drugs, would not have killed herself in that way. No. Sandler said, quote, This is not a painless way to die. It doesn't make any sense that a nurse would put herself through that. A suffering type of extended long death like this. No, fuck End no. quote. It doesn't make any fucking sense. No. But James kept claiming that it was an accident with his two wildly improbable versions of what might have happened. As I mentioned before, he told people that Julie had gone for a walk the day before she lapsed into a coma and died, and strangely speculated that maybe she found a Gatorade bottle on the street filled with antifreeze somewhere, and, just and then just, it. like, drank it, yeah. which, what the fuck are you talking no. about? If you're gonna lie, just come up with a good one. Seriously. Have the respect. Don't pick a thing that I'm sorry, but, like, you would just never do. I would never drink anything I found on the street. It reminds me of that fuck you were talking about last week, when, when it was like, why would she lie about this? It's like... I don't know. Yeah. Like, you've had so much time to, to think, think about, about this. And you, that didn't occur to you? That you would have to come up with a reason of, like, why this fucking came to be? No? Okay. It's, like, the things that enrage me about stuff like this is that the thought process was, like, you know how Get Out of This Pickle is doing this? And that that was even an option. Yeah. And then they executed it. And then they don't even have the decency to be good at it and to fucking lie well. Seriously? Like, it's insult to injury across the fucking board yeah and then he told other people that he had seen her drinking from a gatorade bottle that you filled with antifreeze yeah i'm fucking sure you fucking did and again as i mentioned earlier the police never found antifreeze or gatorade in the cowan home but they knew that julie was drinking the energy drink how do they know because julie said so in one of her emails to her <gasps> friends Ayo. And in this case, it was an email to co-worker Jill Lawson, which, incidentally, I went to school with a Jill Lawson. Oh, I thought you were going to say you went to school with this Jill Lawson. I no, like, Damn, I don't think so. That'd okay. be kind of fucked up. That would be. The email read, quote, James keeps wanting me to drink Gatorade, <gasps> and my taste buds just can't handle anything citric, end quote. Girl, your kidneys can't handle it. Julie's best friend, Heather LeBlanc, also testified that she had been on the phone with Julie and heard James calling out in the background, reminding his wife to drink Gatorade while she was ill. Former Middlesex District Attorney Martha Coakley, now the State Attorney General, said Julie Cowan never suspected her husband's alleged deception. Ugh, Julie... It's so heartbreaking. I can't it's really hard. She, like, she died thinking he was a good person. That's what really gets me. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the thing. what really gets me. Like, if the afterlife exists and she dies and then she finds all the shit out, I'd be pissed as fuck. I'd be so pissed. I would like scorch earth motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, because I'm a ghost. You? I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. <laughs> It'll ruin your life. I'd be like, uh, is there a poltergeist I can possess? And yeah. You, like, go down there? Like, what's the deal? What's, what do you got going on for me? Coakley said, quote, it was pretty clear that she did not understand what was happening to her or that she was being poisoned, end quote. Mm. Detective Bailey added, quote, on the outside, he portrayed himself as a caring, loving husband and the cruelty that goes with a slow poisoning death. I found that very, very cold, end quote. 
after several months of trying to find out what was causing her illness, Julie emailed friend Joe Lawson and said she considered herself lucky to have a husband who was taking good care of her, despite no. juggling a full-time job and a course load at Harvard Business School. No, Julie. I just He's can't. Trash. He's so awful. In oh. Julie's last email which she wrote while she was dying. Oh my God. Granted, she doesn't know she's dying, but she's fucking dying. Julie wrote, not of concern for herself, but of her unending love for James, a man she had no idea was killing her. The email read, quote, my husband is a wonderful person going on eight years of marriage in September. He's going to school at Harvard and working full time. So his plate is pretty full. I don't want my illness to mess that up for him. <gasps> Hope to talk to you soon. Julie Cowan, end quote. Oh my God. This woman is absolutely I like, can't amazing. Handle it. And she deserved so much better than, than this, this fucking trash. trash. Literally. Oh. During closing arguments, the prosecution said, quote, he chose this extremely cruel way to kill her. Yes. End quote. Exactly. Oh. The defense argued, quote, this couple loved and cared for each other. Julie herself said as much in her emails. James Cowan is not guilty. End quote. It took less than two days for the jury to render a verdict. And on July 2nd, 2008, James Cowan was found guilty of first-degree murder with deliberate premeditation. Upon hearing the verdict, James briefly closed his eyes and bowed his head, but otherwise he showed little emotion. James's mother and only courtroom supporter, sat clutching her Bible and wiping tears as the verdict was read. Which also, like, I can't imagine being the parent to someone who did this. No, absolutely not. Like, fuck. That's, I, my heart goes out to his mother as yeah, well. Yeah. Like, Jesus. That's a tough place to be. Because I'm sure as a mother, you're like, I don't I wanna, love you anyway. I, yeah, I don't And I don't want to believe that this yeah, is happening. That, that I raised this type of person. Right, because I yeah, didn't. I yeah. didn't. That's my little boy. He would never uh, do this. But he did. He sure did. And he's a trash person. Mm -hmm. And Julie deserves to be alive still. Yep. Judge Sandra Hamlin said there wouldn't be a delay in sentencing and that James would be sentenced that very day. But first gave Julie's parents a chance to finally confront their son-in-law. <gasps> oh my God, I love it. Tell me. Jack and Nancy Oldag held on to each other while giving victim oh. impact statements. Oh my God. I know. Nancy said, quote, In my mind... James is no longer a person. He's just a mass of flesh and bone. A real person would never have done so evil a thing. End quote. This woman is my hero. Fuck yeah. First of all, that gave me chills. Same. But also, like, I kind of want to, like, ride in the streets now or something. Like, yeah, absolutely. That was just so well put. I loved that. And it was so simple, but, like... Yes, but powerful. Yeah, like, exactly. Ugh. Ugh. Yes. That you're not even a person because a person wouldn't really do yeah. this. Mm. Yeah. Oof. You're just like a meat sack. Of sack. Meat. Yeah. That's it. Before handing down the mandatory life sentence without the possibility of parole, HBIC, which if you don't know what that means, is head bitch in charge, Judge Sandra Hamlin addressed James and said, quote, 
the way in which this defendant secretly and methodically planned and carried out the poisoning of his wife and allowed her to suffer so horribly and die such a slow and painful death makes this court feel that I am truly in the presence of an evil person. <gasps> Damn straight. Fuck yeah. Yes. Because you, you can understand like a crime of passion. It just, Absolutely. You get your anger but gets over away from- months... And, like, taking her to the hospital and, like, hoping she gets better and sitting with her family and doing all this shit the whole time knowing, knowing what you're the one is. who's doing it. And, like, being like, yeah. Yeah. Couple more trips to the hospital. I got this fucking wrapped up. Get that fucking insurance money. Take my ring off. Like, how I'm fucked phoning are Julie, you? too. Let's do Ex- this. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Exactly. Ugh. The convicted murderer did not address the court, and his mother sobbed as he was led away in handcuffs. For several individuals who sat on the jury... The trial was deeply troubling, obviously. Yeah, fuck. When asked what the linchpin of the case was, juror Charmaine Cook responded without hesitation, computer evidence. She said, quote, When you see he searched on ethylene plus death plus poison, you can't ignore that. End yeah. quote. Another strange detail that came out during the trial was James's online screen name. Oh, no. No, Monique. I, your face. I don't know. Okay, what is it? Kaiser Soze. Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Yeah. Which one could you be more basic? This is the most basic bitch I've ever fucking yeah. met. It's like, you don't even know. Like, people think I'm this really? thing, but you don't even know. Uh. Uh, I'm not going to spoil a movie that's like 30 years old, but <laughs> just look up. Watch The Usual Usual Suspects suspects. or just look up Kaiser Soze and how he fancied himself a Kaiser Soze. What the fuck ever. Kaiser Soze got away with it. Yeah. Actually, you dumb fuck. Ugh. What a fucking idiot. Okay. Literally, what a fucking idiot. All right. I'm so angry because he's a fucking idiot and because this was clearly just a good woman who like- Believed in her husband. Yes. Literally like moved across the the country for him. To the minute that she died. That's what really and, gets me. And not just believed it, but was like advocating upset for him, yeah. That she was in the way of his progress in his life. Her illness was fucking up his life. Uh, Fuck you, James Cowan. You're such trash. I literally can't handle it. So James appealed his conviction with his attorneys arguing that certain evidence presented during the 2008 trial was inadmissible and that the warrant used to obtain the evidence was defective. They also argued that Sandra Judge Hamlin had abused her discretion by declining to exclude evidence relating to Cowan's computer username of Kaiser Soze. They're like, that's prejudicial. Fuck you. Fuck you, yeah. They also stated that she should not have permitted examinations of internet search results on his personal computer Uh, for such terms as poisons and antifreeze human death. Like, literally, like you're saying, like, this is not allowed that you investigated it and found out that he did it. But, like, you you searched for all the things that would incriminate me in my search history. Like, you you look for all those words specifically. And right, because you used all those words specifically right. to look to how to kill your wife. Like, that's why we looked for those words when we looked through search history. And yes. all of that, like, looked really bad for me. And if you didn't do that, then I then wouldn't I have wouldn't a life. I wouldn't look guilty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because there's no evidence beyond all of my search history that right. I don't want to admit into court. Thanks. Also, they were like that the judge should not have permitted julie's emails to her friends they also stated this is like have you ever been at a fucking they get evidence they go through all your fucking shit to fucking find out what if you actually were murdered or not like what are you talking about is this fucking attorney out to lunch like what the fuck is this your first day in court apparently what the fuck is this 
He thought they were just going to take his word for it. And they'd be like, all right, pinky swear though, right? Yeah. And then like let him go to lunch? No. I mean, they also stated that the prosecutor's closing argument was improper and that Hamlet's instructions to the jury lowered the Commonwealth's burden of proof. Suck a dick. For real. Literally. Obviously, the appeal was rejected. Because he's an idiot. Because it's like, yeah. hi, have you ever been here before? Yeah. Like, do you know how this works? Hi, this is the legal system. We actually don't, we try not to fuck around. Like, we fuck around a little bit, but like. We try not we to. We try not to fuck around. As the court found the search of his computer had been conducted, quote unquote, reasonably, and that Hamlin had not abused her discretion in permitting, uh, in permitting evidence. the present, yeah. exactly, any of the evidence, <laughs> like the search terms, prior acts, Julie's emails, the internet statements, were not prejudicial. And the court also found no error in the prosecutor's closing arguments. The old dags say that they think it is important for people to know Julie's story, in part so people know the warning signs of ethylene glycol poisoning. They said they also support a pending federal bill called the Antifreeze Bittering Act, which would require manufacturers to add a bittering agent to antifreeze to help prevent the accidental poisoning of hundreds of children thousands of pets, and unknown number of quote-unquote death-by-antifreeze crimes in this country every year. Yeah. We literally add odor to natural gas so that you don't fucking die in your house when you accidentally leave your fucking stove on. Like, we can add fucking bitter flavor to antifreeze. Exactly. Yeah. An estimated 1,400 children and 10,000 animals are poisoned each year after ingesting ethylene glycol. Holy shit. Ethylene glycol sweet smell and taste makes it an attractive but deadly substance. Yeah. The bill requires antifreeze and coolant manufacturers to add denatonium benzoate, an intensely bitter agent, to their products, which adding this would cost manufacturers an additional two to three cents per gallon. Like, so it's just not do even it. I don't even understand why we haven't done this before. This Literally. This should have been done fucking 10 years ago. Well, the U.S. House Commerce Committee passed the Antifreeze Bittering Act in July of 2006, the bill has not made it through the U.S. Senate. However, okay. a number of states have enacted legislation requiring the addition of a substance to antifreeze that makes it taste bitter, and major marketers in all 50 states now say they will only sell antifreeze that includes a bitter-tasting agent. So, Fucking, progress. Yeah, finally, yes. Julie's friend Layla said, quote, He has ruined so many lives. He took her life and robbed us of her, but he ruined his own life in the process. But I think that it was meticulous. It was calculated. It is mind-boggling. I think that he is a broken person. I see him as a broken person. End quote. Julie's father said, quote, This guy deceived us so badly and so easily, you know, and now I can look back and say I should have seen this and this and this. I didn't check up on it. End quote. Nancy said, quote, Julie was such a good person that, you know, it wasn't like he was married to someone who didn't care about him. She would have went to the ends of the earth for anything he wanted. Oh. End quote. Julie's father added that his daughter, quote, loved him till the end. Till she the did. end. End quote. Oh, that's so true. I know. James Cowan is currently incarcerated at MCI Norfolk a medium security prison, and was never able to profit from the insurance policy on Julie because hey. her death had been under investigation from the get-go, and then he was convicted. 
Fuck yeah. That's what you got, motherfucker. Yep. And that is the crazy story of Julie and James Cowan. That was fucking crazy. That was tragic. <sighs> yeah. I'm like so enraged on her behalf because he's fucking trash. Trash. Uh, it's funny because whenever I'm like super hungover and I need to get a Gatorade, I prefer the lemon lime. Yeah, and that's the fucking one girl. It's yes. the one to go to. Yes. And the thing is, I grew up with like the cloudy lemon lime, but now there's like... Super clear, a, like a super clear yeah. and like mm-hmm. neon one. Yep, yep, yep. And that it freaks, freaks you me out. out because of this fucking story. Interesting. I mean, I literally only drink Gatorade when I'm like dying of a yeah. hangover. So this is very rarely I'm, in you my know, life. My I'm from a Florida Gator house, and Gatorade was oh, yeah. invented in in Florida. Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So it like I grew up with lemon lime Gatorade. Oh fuck yeah! But every time I see it, I'm like. Questionable. I don't know how I feel about that. Do I want to take my life in my hands? Yeah. About this, if your boyfriend tries to get you to drink Gatorade and you're not like about it, about it, and you're not like working out, or vomiting, super, yeah. Maybe if you're super sick and he keeps being like, "No, babe, drink your Gatorade," and you like can't keep it down, maybe buy your own Gatorade and drink that. (gasps) Boom. Just like seamless that shit to your house. Girl. Uber Eats, baby. Hell yes. Yeah. I was like, Sunset Bagels. They know my shit when I'm hungover. Fucking <laughs> croissant, egg, bacon, cheese. Yes. And lemon lime gear. Let's you do this. You got to. Let's Fuck do it. Yeah. I love it. They know. Um, that was an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah. I literally <sighs> saw this once like 12 years ago. I get ago. why it haunted you because like, yeah. this is going to haunt me too. It's the, you're right. It's the, just like the watching someone you quote unquote love die slowly while you're poisoning and, them. Yeah. For, like, I can months. understand a crime of passion, a crime of rage. For sure, same. But to being systematically. Like, and then to the point that she's like, oh my god, I had the best husband ever. He's taking care yes. of me. Like, you're just next level. Yeah, that's a sociopath I don't ever want to meet. Because you're For just, sure. yeah. Yeah. Beyond redemption at that point in my mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're not even a person. No. As, as like Nancy said. The, yes. No, you're, you're so right. You are a trash bag full of meat and viscera. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. That was amazing, though. Thank, Thank you for you. that. Yeah. I might not drink yellow Gatorade for like three years yeah. just to be safe. But I get like, that. Yeah. I understand that. Cherry's not bad. The red the red one. It's a cherry. I don't know. The I red think it's fruit punch. punch. Yeah. It's not bad. Fuck yeah, girl. That's my two. Blue, too. I love it. I'm, the blue Arctic mm. Blast. Fuck yeah. I don't even know what flavor it is. I literally, it's a blue flavored. It's, it's it blue tastes one. like blue. Yeah. Yeah, the blue one was pretty good. Oh, girl. Fuck yeah. yes. I haven't had that in a minute. When you're hungover, though, or sick, the yellow one is always the way to go because it's, like, not the color. Yeah. If you, for some reason, it has to come back up a second time. Lemon lime, always fine. That's the rhyme. So you can keep it in mind. Yes. Blue and red, whew, brings the dread. I don't know. Oh, that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. I was trying to make it sound catchy. Put that shit on a shirt. Yeah. It's supposed to be, like, the stupid little snake rhyme you learn when you're a kid. What the fuck are you talking about? It's like a snake rhyme. It's like uh, red before black, friend to Jack, black before red, you'll end up dead. Did you ever learn that? No. It's didn't. supposed to be for like, I want to say. In the Cuban community, we didn't learn that in Miami. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's mainly kind of for like, I want to say like coral snakes and stuff because they're, coral snakes are very uh, venomous, but there is a lookalike in Florida that is, I don't remember what type of snake it is, but it's completely innocuous and it just looks very similar to a coral snake. So, yeah, you're supposed to remember the little rhyme like that, but... No, I don't. I never heard it. That was another thing. Like, when I went to to college and uh, 
before you perform, you do warm-ups, you do vocal warm-ups and tongue yes, and whatever. Yes. And everyone would do like the Peter Piper or whatever. And I was like, I didn't learn any of this. I don't know this. Oh, okay. Peter I'm Piper, Cuban. Pick to pick a Papa, was that one? Yeah. yeah. That, but no. I, and I was like, I don't know this. Red leather, yellow leather. Leather, yellow <laughs> leather, red. Yeah. I love New York. I need New York. You know, I need unique New York. No, I can't. I can't do yeah. any of those. I can't do any of those. <laughs> Oh my god, that was fucking so good, dude. Thank you. So good. And thanks so much for listening, guys. Yeah, happy Our Independence Day. Happy in a fucking Penance Day. Hell yeah. Watch America. Fuck yeah. Watch Team America, World Police, obviously. Yeah, and watch, watch Independence Day. Independence Day, you got to. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing 4th of July. Fuck yeah. Uh, if you celebrate, uh, because we have people in other countries to listen to this as well. Yeah, it's true. If you don't, if you don't, that's cool. Just get drunk. Still love you, Link. Okay. England. That's fine. No hard yeah. feelings. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks, Daddy. It's fine. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, my family, like, we have our, our beef with Spain. Like, we don't give a fuck about England. <laughs> like, fuck Spain. Um, uh, we have our, our True Listener Tales episode next week. Uh, so please submit to that. Please follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Another Fucking Horror Podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. And you can email us your crazy stories or just say hi by emailing us at Another Fucking Horror Podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. And guys, keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.